Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Beth, I forgot the name of the show. Tuesday morning, <laughs> September the 10th, 843 is our number. Yeah, you get a little older, take a couple of days, extra days off. Um, I'm a three-weekend or three-day weekend guy. I'm not a four-day weekend guy. That's just too I, much, I mean, huh? I mean, we, yeah, I mean, I just get out of the groove too much. I mean, I just, um, I had a lot of stuff to do Friday, and I got it done, and I'm proud I've gotten it done. And I know you had a lot of things to do, mm-hmm. uh, traveling down to Florida to take care of your mom's estate or what's there and you and your brother. It's kind of interesting. Rev said that his brother would throw everything in a dumpster, no matter how generational and uh, much of an heirloom it may be. That's true. He's a little bit different, more sentimental. Yeah. Um, my brother and I have discussed that a lot. Um, when my parents died, uh, pretty close and near to one another. It, it just, I mean, I don't know why. I just feel like moving on. I mean, it's just my way of doing things. There's no right nor wrong way to grieve. There's no right nor wrong way to settle up, you know, who gets what and where it goes and for what it's worth. And I mean, I, I, I just, I, I refuse to believe that Rev's way is right and his brother's wrong or his brother's right and Rev's wrong. It's just different. I mean, people have different ways of moving on or not. Um, and I don't know if it's all about sentimental, you know, or, or the sentimental touch attachment. It's just the nature of how you've always historically taken care of things. Um, I'll sell a house furnished in a minute. Furnished. And my wife gets furious. This means something to us. I say, David, yeah, it might get some extra 500 bucks on the house, you know, <laughs> and, and we can pay off more debt and, and move on. But everybody's good. Josh, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. I mean, you, you may eventually have to become no shot, no shot, no mask, no mask. <laughs> Josh, we shall shall see as uh, as things progress. Um, it seems to me that some of the prophecy we talked about is coming true. I told Rev, and I think we said it over the air many times that we're going to be around a lot of dying. And the, I mean, I, I've always referred to Jimmy Buffett as the saltwater cowboy. I mean, he always had this walk to the beat of his own drum lifestyle, but it's centered around you know not the ocean. I mean, it was about the coastal lifestyle of the ocean. And, um, I mean, I don't know that I've had any concert, excuse me, I don't know if I've had a performer die that was as much a part of my life as Jimmy Buffett was. Um, first concert, 1979, maybe, 78 or 79, uh, went with my future wife, I think. We tried to kind of go back through the, um, the, the chronology of when, where, how, when, uh, a group of us got together back in the day. This is kind of wild. You could collect Pepsi bottle caps and get a certain discount at the Palladium at Carowinds. And Buffett performed at the Carowinds Palladium. And I mean, the tickets were probably 10 bucks, but if you had like 20 bottle caps, Pepsi bottle caps, you got half price. And, you know, a group of us um, country folk loaded up <laughs> in a, uh, in probably a, um, uh, Ford station wagon and made our way. This would have been pre minivan and uh, obviously pre SUV and made our way to the Carowinds Palladium and saw Jimmy Buffett. And you, you said this before about some entertainers or performers. Uh, Dylan would come to mind. You don't really know what genre they are. You don't know where to put them. Well, <laughs> or I mean, they had their own. Sure, they and are it, the genre. And Buffett. I mean, I, I'm convinced this is genre was saltwater cowboy. I mean, it was some weird mixture of Caribbean, country, folk, rock, pop. I mean, it was a lot of different things at a lot of different times. But he, as you just said, he created a genre. I mean, it was his. And he had a, um, I think Rev will agree to this. Uh, I'm a Springsteen fan. Uh, Whether you like Bruce's music, whether you believe he's as mainstream a success as some of the others, 
he has a cult-like following. It's a very loyal and dedicated group of people who enjoy going to Springsteen concerts. The two that I think may have Bruce whipped is the Grateful Dead and Jimmy Buffett. I mean, I really believe yeah. that the Grateful Dead and right. Jimmy Buffett may have as, as um, I mean, obviously he's not enjoyed the mainstream um, success. I, I think I sent you a text. He said um, when they asked him to encapsulate his career in a, in a paragraph, I mean, obviously that's complicated, but I think he said, I've never had a number one hit. I've never been to rehab and all I ever wanted was a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. I've never had a number one hit. I think come Monday was a hit, but obviously not. Uh, and Margaritaville would be what he's kind of um, known for. I'll tell you what he did. He snuck up on about $750 million. Uh, I read that. <laughs> I, I, read I knew it. you would think of that too. I knew you would yeah. $750 million, <laughs> but it was Margaritaville. I mean, it was the brand, the restaurants, yeah. the beach lifestyle, and the, the chairs and all these other, a little bit like Tommy Bahama, you know, the, this yep. marketing element that, that is kind of coastal in nature. And, um, I mean, every time you bought one of these Margaritaville t-shirts or you, you drank one of the hurricanes at the Margaritaville restaurants, Buffett got a cut of that. And, um, when he, when he died, I was reading an article in the New York times and it you know, kind of referred to him as not the saltwater cowboy, but something similar to that. But it said, you know, as a state's valued is somewhere between 700 and a billion dollars. And I'm going like, do what? I mean, I was thinking 150, a couple of hundred million. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew he'd done I, I figured he lived above average means when he had a run-in with Madonna about some beach property. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I figured when he and Madonna got sideways about some beach property in Florida, he'd done fairly well, but I never imagined nearly a billion bucks. Now here's where Rev jumps in. He and McCartney were buddies. I did not Collaborators. know that. I didn't know Very it. dear friends, yep. one with another. And it was more about arrangements and collaborations and two musicians. Um, who yeah, no, no question about it. And uh, anyway, I just um, I, I, a lot of you who are from our generation, if you were born in the fifties or sixties, you know, raised in the sixties or seventies, partied a little bit in the seventies or eighties, you crossed paths with Jimmy Buffett. I mean, you just did at some point in time in your life. You probably enjoyed listening to some Buffett music, go to a Buffett um, concert. And, and, and once again, as Rev said, he kind of created his own genre. I mean, it was a little bit of um, Caribbean folk rock, uh, saltwater relief. I don't know what you want to call it. But uh, anyway, Godspeed to the Buffett family. I think they announced over the weekend he died of some rare skin cancer, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody because his entire life was spent pretty much in the sun, right? I mean, it was all about the boating and the, the coastal lifestyle and being on the beach. Um, you know, out in the sun, not saying that's what caused it. I certainly don't, um, I don't have any idea, but, um, Godspeed to Jimmy Buffett. You want to add anything to that Rev? Yeah. I saw him one time and when I moved to South Carolina, I, I really, I, I'm sure I'd heard the song Margaritaville. That was, that was big. That was that's nationwide. You would agree yeah, that's an anthem. Absolutely. But didn't really know much about him and the fact that he came by every year. And I knew so many people that would not miss the concerts when they came through. So I saw him in the late eighties. I don't remember. It was an outdoor venue in Charlotte and it wasn't the, it wasn't the Carowinds. It was somewhere near downtown, but just outdoor, outdoor stadium, saw it, enjoyed it. That's the only time I saw him. I didn't really have that desire to go see but him again. But you would agree he had somewhat, he had one of the most loyal followings. Oh yeah. And all of music. I mean, he was selling out stadiums until the last days. So this is, this is my Jimmy Buffett story or my memory because being in radio, people used to come to me a lot and say, can you get me backstage? You know, and Buffett was one of the 
you know, most requested. Just from around here, people wanted it. They've probably gone to concerts for years, wanted to meet him. And so I used to try, you know, on behalf of, of people that were asking, I would call the re his record label. I think it was on MCA Records at the time. And I would call MCA Records, and I was like, hey, Buffett's going to be in Charlotte. Is there any chance he's doing a backstage? I've got, you know, some people here that would like to meet him. And the record company would never, ever honor a backstage request. And I think that Buffett, and this is what they kind of told me as I remember it, that he had that relationship with radio because, as you mentioned, he never had a number one song, and he wasn't an extreme, extremely successful, you know, string of hits kind of artist. Um, and so because of that, the stories I, I was told over the years was we when we used to take people back to meet him at the backstage of the concerts, he wasn't very nice to the radio people. And so we just stopped doing it. So I never, ever was able to arrange that. Or could, or could that have been somewhat of a grudge you held against radio? Maybe. Because radio never, you know, played a lot of his music. Yeah. I mean, and and I don't want to put words in his mouth, sure, but I mean, that I was kind of, kind of hearsay for me at this point to, to, to mention. But that um, would stand to reason because you guys were the gatekeeper. I mean, he played his records or not. You didn't play much of his records. Because uh, he was more of a, um, I mean, once again, it was a, um, I mean, it was a live in concert sort of experience than most people really enjoy the parrot heads. I mean, how many, um, how many fan bases have their own name, but they refer to themselves, uh, right. you know, adoringly as parrot heads. Yep. And, um, I don't know. I just, um, it was, it was, I enjoyed the beach. I grew up going to the beach. He sang a lot about the beach and the ocean and the sand and all these other sorts of things. And he was somewhat of a nonconformist. I think you would agree to that. I mean, he was very famous for walking to the beat of his own drum. Now, he did say on CBS News, they had a kind of a special about him, and he said, you know, once he realized he'd built this brand, he got very protective. I mean, he got very business-minded. I mean, he, you know, he wanted, like I said, he, he never had a number one hit, never went to rehab, and all he wanted was a sailboat. But, but once he realized there was commercial success to be had, he got real, he got real protective of, I guess, the brand that eventually became um, Margaritaville. But once again, if you're raised in this late fifties, early sixties, check. Um, if you, you know, was kind of raised in the sixties and seventies, check. You partied a good bit in the late seventies, early eighties, check. I mean, he had an influence and he was somebody that you, if you heard to point, if you heard that Buffett was going to be nearby and you cared anything at all about live concerts, you wanted to try and go see, um, Buffett. I mean, he had people like Springsteen that had seen him 30, 40, 50 times. Now the difference in Buffett and Springsteen of the Grateful Dead, the majority of people who went to Springsteen and Buffett concerts remember going to Springsteen and Buffett concerts. <laughs> I'm not sure those deadheads really remember much at yeah. all about some of those um some of those concerts. Hey, can we just skip football? <laughs> yes. I mean, can we just all agree? Please, um, please. Can, can 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 the Gamecock Tiger Nation agree this morning? There was no football played this past weekend. We know nothing of what you're talking about jimmy buffett passed away the weather and i was thinking about this coming in this morning i don't know that i've ever lived through as spectacular a weather on labor day as we had this past weekend i mean it was glorious it was spectacular it was 60 61 62 in the mornings you know 80 81 82 in the afternoons very low humidity a little bit of a northeaster breeze i mean it was just spectacular weather this weekend, and you always cross your fingers on Labor Day. It's kind of a, um, it's a volatile time of the year. The weather begins changing from really, really hot to really, really cool. You got all these tropical storms and 
and, and all that into play. But I don't know how many times a tropical depression or storm or threat of a hurricane is goofed up weather on, uh, on Labor Day. You're thinking about football and the race and all these other sorts of things. But, but the good Lord blessed us. Not now the Gamecocks and Tigers snuck it up, but, but the good <laughs> Lord did his part in providing just spectacular, glorious weather um, from really all across and throughout um, the Southeast. Look, I can, I mean, I, you know, I can't honestly critique the Gamecocks because I'm a fan and I'm somewhat blinded by that fanatical, you know, fanaticism you have for your team. I mean, I, I'll, I'll try to my best to say, you know, the, when you go into the week of the first game of the season and three of your four interior offensive linemen, there's not been a starter named and you know, it's not because you've got unbelievable depth. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you, you kind of like scratch your head. I was texting with a buddy of mine Friday and he said, your biggest concern. I said, they've not named any interior linemen starters. And it's not like all Americans competing against one another in an NFL combine. But it's obvious that they're just, they're, they're very uncomfortable with who's going to be on the starting offensive line at South Carolina. And it was atrocious. I mean, it was God awful. Um, Spencer Rattler will not live through the Georgia game if they don't do something different than what they've done today. And I'll say this. No, I think North Carolina's pretty good. I don't think they're great, but I think they're pretty good. And I think South Carolina, um, the offensive line just had no, I mean, it, it, you know, I think nine sacks, 16 um, plays for loss, you know, lost yardage in 16 plays. I think North Carolina may have had 13 sacks all last year. Um, they had nine in one game against an offensive line. But I go back to Thursday with every release. Might have been Wednesday, death chart, and it said either or, either or, who's at left tackle, either or, right tackle, either or, left guard, either or, center, either or. I'm thinking to myself, Man, that, that ain't two All-Americans battling one another, and they can't decide who to start. They just don't have any confidence nor faith. Now, now will it get better? I don't know. I will say this, and I don't want to be pessimistic as a Gamecock fan. It's hard to fix an offensive line during the season. I mean, it just is. I mean, it's got to be a cohesive bunch. They have to have played some games um, together. I still believe they can be okay because Rattler's an elite quarterback. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback in America. I'm not saying he's a first-round draft choice. But, but Rattler can, I mean, they can get rolling and throw for 350, 400 yards. I was thinking about this, Rev. The Gamecocks win the turnover battle. Some say 2-0. They really want it 3-0 because the onside kick's kind of a turnover. I mean, that's a change of possessions. So, so they won the turnover battle, and I'll include the onside kick 3-0. They threw for 360 yards and lost by two touchdowns. And, uh, that, that, that's concerning. I mean, that's real concerning. Um, if you win the turnover battle 3-0, you throw for 353 yards, eh, and you get beat by two touchdowns against a pretty good team. I mean, once again, I think North Carolina will be a pretty good team. And, um, and you know, the Gamecocks play Furman this week. They've got a lot of injuries. South Carolina does. Um, I'm, I'm on the record. I've said it. I'll say it again. That There's, you know, I'm – and then Rev remembers a moment. I asked Will Muschamp about it, the concern I have with the cleats. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a marketing director. I don't cash the big check that Under Armour, you know, writes to the University of South Carolina. But since they signed that deal with Under Armour, they have had an unbelievable amount of leg injuries. And it was this Saturday. I mean, every time we turn around, somebody's limping off the field. 
And I went and Googled, because that's what I do. I Googled, you know, the percentage of NFL players, because NFL ain't no joke. I mean, you know, the, the university doesn't get to decide, hey, we're going to wear this cleat or that cleat. I mean, the NFL guys make their own deal. 3% of NFL players wear Under Armour cleats. Three. That's down from about 26%. So 26% got paid to wear Under Armour. They didn't think enough of the cleat. To, I mean, they, somebody else came along and, and paid him, I don't know, less money, more money, but they just decided that's not premium equipment. And I, and I still think there's a um, there's a, a quality issue with the Under Armour cleat as opposed to some of the other. I think they make a wonderful dry fit shirt. <laughs> I think they do. That sweat wicked material that Under Armour makes is probably as good as it ever has been, but I think they make an inferior shoe, and, and I've got – suspicion that there's a i don't know just a combination of that and some other things uh soft tissue training i don't want to go down down that road but um but with clemson and i I do think i can give a fair and more objective because i'm not a fan i mean i'm an observer and i don't think it's that complicated with clemson clemson had two generational talents at quarterback in consecutive runs i mean i'm not saying i could have coached that bunch but i could have coached that bunch (laughs) with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback. I mean, they were generational talents, and they ha- happened to say It's not like, you know, Watson was there, and then they went 15 years of wandering out around in the desert, then Trevor Lawrence shows up. No. I mean, you, you had two of the best college football players I've ever seen, and you had them consecutively one with another, and you had them at the most important position on the football field. Now, now I'll say this, and this is weird, and, and it's easy for me to say from afar. Dabo's gained some weight. That just that 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 matters to me. I don't know. Is he as focused? Saban hadn't gained a pound. Dabo's probably gained twenty pounds. I mean, I'm not picking on Dabo, but but has Dabo gotten a little bit fat and happy? Is Dabo resting a little bit on his laurels? I don't know, but I can be. I mean, I, you know, I can't be open-minded about the Gamecocks because I'm blinded by my loyalty to the team. Once again, I believe the problem in South Carolina. You should, you should have seen it coming when you're listing, you know, either or on the offensive line. There's a reason. I mean, if you follow football like I do, there's a reason to be concerned there. But when you watch what happened at Clemson yesterday, I mean, I could be a smart butt and say, Spurrier got him again, you know, but because <laughs> I think he was, he there, was there with yeah. a blue Duke shirt on and somebody sent me a picture. I mean, I went to bed before the game was over. Um, woke up this morning to 100 texts from Gamecock fans saying, oh, misery loves company. And in, in essence, so I don't know much of what happened in the in the second half. But I think at Clemson, you're just you're searching for somebody as good as Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And guess what? They just ain't many of them. I mean, there just ain't many of them out there as good as those two um, guys were. Eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. You're already behind a bit. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Obviously, this is not a sports show, and I don't want to turn it into a sports show. It's not a Jimmy Buffett tribute uh, show. <laughs> Either is a show about a lot of different things. What do we say? Seinfeld's a show about nothing. This is a show about everything. You're you're a loyal Gamecock fan, yes, sir. Uh, your, your take on the um on the beloved chickens. I've said this many times. I don't watch the games the same as you do. You know, you are into every little nuance and intricacy. I'm into hey, throw it, catch it, score, yeah. You know, want to win. So totally different way than you watch it. But, of course, I could tell that we had an offensive line that was not getting the job done. In spite of that, obviously, Rattler had you know good numbers as a quarterback. I mean, excellent numbers. So, with some proper protection, of course, you have hope. 
but it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, terrible. When, when your when your lines are either or, when you when your tackle is either or and your guards are either or, that means if if you got two tackles, you don't have any. I mean, if you don't have a starter, it's a little mm-hmm. bit like if you got you know if if you got two quarterbacks. You Spurry famously said that if you got two quarterbacks, you really don't have any. I mean, you got two trying to one should have distinguished himself. Somebody on the offensive line should have distinguished himself. I'll tell you the story of the weekend to me is Florida State in Colorado. I mean, that that is the college football story of the weekend. I mean, in our world, it's Gamecocks and Tigers, and I'll level with you. Um, misery does love company. And when I woke up this morning and found out that Clemson had lost, I mean, I, little, little, yeah, I mean, I'll <laughs> level with you, and there is no hatred or animus. I think people understand that now. In the I fun mean, and games department, hey, you know, you pull for sure your team. And, and, and when your team against your sucks rival. and stinks and your arch rival has a chance to suck and stink, you would just assume them stuck and sink. You know, so we'd all suck and stink together, you know, just, just so one yeah. doesn't have enough for leg over the other. But, no, the story of the weekend to me is Colorado and Florida State. Um, I mean, it's it's the new era and age of college football. And I've tried to explain that as best I know how um, to people who make big decisions um, for a football program I pull for, and they just don't buy it. I mean, they, they just do not buy it. Florida State has, if I'm in excess of 40 kids on contract, Colorado has about 50 kids. Remember Dion gets to a boulder and he tells everybody, you know, don't don't unpack your suitcase yet. I mean, it, yeah. you, you guys on the team didn't win but one game. And if I can find out, figure out a, a way to get better players here, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, he got lambasted by the national media for being so insensitive to college kids. But he said, why do I want to keep the team that won one game when I can when I have the transfer portal in NIL? And he went to very wealthy Colorado boosters and said, hey, I can build this thing, but I need your help. Tell us what you need, Dion. Florida State, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this. I think Florida State may have 50 kids under contract. But I mean, they built a team in a year with the NIL. Gene Bell, former Gamecock. Yeah. Uh, the Gamecocks couldn't match Florida State's offer or chose to not match Gilbert Edmonds, former Gamecock. Um, I mean, they, they're really good football players. And Florida State went all over the country, and they offered kids contracts. And their 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 fan base, their boosters, their athletics department agree that NIL and transfer portal is the new way of doing business. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. And and I and I think that hurts Dabo a little bit. Dabo has been very very public about his disdain of transfer portals and NILs. We're going to do it the Clemson way. Well, I mean, you're, you're not going to do it that way any longer. You're just not. I mean, these kids now have an opportunity to get paid, and they're going to get paid. And and I think Colorado and Florida State with a to me, the best examples over the weekend of two teams embracing, whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've often said, had the NCAA given an inch, two or three, they would have never been forced to give a mile. But I don't run the NCAA. And they chose to not give an inch. And now the kids can make more money than they're probably worth. But Colorado and Florida State embrace that reality. I think Clemson, I think South Carolina, have, have refused to accept that. And here's the problem. Well, I can't speak for anybody but the Gamecocks. I, I don't know what's happening at Clemson, but here's the problem. Some of these athletic departments are run by k- kind of the placeholder mindset, the bureaucratic mindset. And if Josh has a lot of money and loves the Gamecocks, and Josh has historically given $10,000 a year to the Gamecock club, and now all of a sudden 
Josh is thinking about giving 10, excuse me, five to the Gamecock Club and five to the NIL, the collective. That's five. I'm light. I mean, I don't meet my quota to, to fund the equestrian team or the women's aquatics team to, to help fund the, um, and I'm not beating on aquatics nor equestrian. I think it's important the universities have well-rounded athletics. Title IX is going to force you to have well-rounded athletics, whether you want it or not. But I think, you know, Florida State and Colorado, to me, were the kind of the poster children of who said, okay, this is the new way of doing things. Go to the boosters, convince them to give money to NIL, the collectives, and let's go sign contracts. I mean, let's go get players to sign contracts. And um, I mean, the game cost got dinged pretty severely with Gilbert Edmonds and, and Jaheen Bell. And Florida State has, I mean, they, they put something together. I mean, they, they were heading in, in the right direction to begin with. But by them embracing NIL and by Colorado embracing NIL, I mean, they're legit. Now, I don't think Colorado's anywhere near as legit as Florida State. Florida State looked more athletic than LSU. Guess what? Ain't a lot of teams look more athletic than LSU. <laughs> now, but LSU is a very athletic football program. Florida State looked more athletic than they. And, and I think 50 players, if I'm not mistaken, are under contract. So here's what I'll say. You can bury your head in the sand and whine and complain, and your athletics director and your athletic department, your board of trustees, can cannot like the way it is, and you'll get your brains beat out. Or you can say, hey, this is the new normal. This is the way things are done now. And you got to convince your donor base to not worry about quotas and, and equestrian teams, but but donate money to the collectives so they, so they can go sign contracts with really good football players and not be poached from teams that are investing in, uh, in the name, image, and likeness. Because that's just, I mean, we're paying p- players to pay. And guess what? If you've got a pot with a million dollars to cover your team and Florida State's got a pot with $6 million to cover their team, guess who gets the best players? Newsflash. The team with a pot that has $6 million in it normally gets better players than the team that has a pot uh, with a million dollars in it. But I think this, you know, this, um, this mindset of I don't like it, ah, okay, you don't like it, but it, it's where it is and it ain't. I mean, it will, will there be some legislative addressing uh, probably at some point in time that there'll be a, ah, you know, some sort of compromise on what needs to be done to preserve the integrity of the game and make sure the student athletes, I laugh when we say student athletes anymore, uh, when, when the semi-pro players are, you know, assigned, <laughs> or signed. That's more accurate. When, when the farm leagues, when the farm leagues <laughs> sign their, sign their players to go to the NFL. Anyway. Uh, uh, and I found myself when I, when I was a, a little bit frustrated uh, with the Gamecocks, I, I said, hmm, you guys are getting paid how much, and that's how you're going to play? Some of those guys, they're not getting paid as much as they are at Colorado and Florida right, State. Right, right. But, you know, it, 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 it never before entered into my equation. When you were critical or you were, you were upset or, you know, just not happy with your team and you lost the game, and you'd say, ah, you know, try, try again next time, Mr. Athletic, uh, Mr. Amateur Athlete. Um, but then I started thinking, how much are you getting paid? Yeah, they're not amateur athletes any longer. And, but I want to say this, and then we'll get to the phone. I mean, if you're a Gamecock or a Tiger and, you, and your athletics program are run by people who are trying to convince their boosters to not stop giving as much money to the Gamecock Club or Ipte as they've historically have, but rather the NIL, you're going to pay a price for that. I mean, if it's all about quotas 
you know, and uh, and getting enough money to build the aquatic center, getting enough money to be- feed the horses at the equestrian team. Because guess what? If the football team in Clemson doesn't win, the athletics program struggles. If the football team at South Carolina doesn't win, the athletic program struggles. You you want to you want to um, you want donors to tune out. You want supporters to take a pass. Let the football team suck for two or three years, and you'll really see how much people love bass fishing, equestrian, <laughs> and, and and aquatics. Let's go to. Uh, I was going to say. Uh, so I watched the uh, Florida State LSU game. My brother went to the game. It was in Orlando, and I was in Orlando Winter Park over the weekend, and it was game was shown on the local television station. And so they broke in to say uh, SpaceX is launching a, a rocket. I guess that's in local television. They let everybody know. So I, I didn't even know they were doing a launch. So walked out. I knew where from my mom's house there. I knew where to look in the sky. And sure enough, I mean, big, bright, orange, you know, deal going up into the air. Incredible sight, as always. SpaceX really put on a show because I go in and I said, all right, let me watch this. And I usually pull up the YouTube feed. Well, apparently they have stopped allowing YouTube to play the official SpaceX audio and some of the things because it's now exclusively on X, right? Okay. Which makes sense. Sure it does. So I went and found the X, or as I call it, the Twitter for SpaceX, and I watched, and not only were they executing that launch, they said, and by the way, our capsule with the astronauts that went to the space station is on its way back, so get ready to watch that. Again, didn't know that was happening either. Uh, and had to stay up late, so it was supposed to, it was it was re-entering the atmosphere, and it was going to splash down near Jacksonville into the Atlantic, and they were going to recover it. And so there were astronauts on there. They said, but if you're in Central Florida and places in Mexico and different places in the country, you're going to be able to see this capsule come in on its way to splashdown. So we stayed up, went outside when they said, looked up in the sky, and this, and we've talked about. SpaceX and launches and, you know, the Starlinks watching them go and this, the International Space Station when it flies over. I mean, I think that stuff's cool. I've never seen anything like this. So apparently, like I'm just learning this, the uh, when when the capsule comes in and it's going, you know, it has to slow down in the atmosphere and the, the heat, the 3,500 degrees or whatever, and this plasma field, uh, whatever the the sky and the conditions made it so... It was such a sight to see. So we look up in the sky, and there was an orange line straight across the sky, and you could see this capsule coming in. I mean, it it was as far across the sky from one end to the other, this straight orange line as it was making its way into the atmosphere, getting ready to splash down. And uh, I just had to say SpaceX put and NASA put on a show on Sunday night that was incredible from Central Florida. Good deal. We wish our football teams had put on a show. Well, you know. Um, Saturday and Monday. But they did. Is somebody on the phone? Yeah. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Uh, hello. Um, full disclosure, the first uh, college football game I ever saw was uh, uh, in Death Valley in Clemson. And I, and I cheered on the Tigers really uh, fiercely. But uh, And you said you weren't going to talk about football you and then talk spent three quarters of an hour jet running your mouth about that, and uh, I'm going to run my mouth about it a little bit. <laughs> Dabo, I don't know, and uh, and uh, Beamer, I, I don't or Dreamer or whatever he is. I don't know how we can pay these coaches that much money, and they can't figure out. And this has not changed for over sixty years. 
you got to have five men blocking. You got to have five men blocking, and you got to have a man that can throw the ball, and you got to have at least one that can catch the ball. And if you don't have that, rest of them might might as well go home, and we'll watch pickleball. And that's the way I feel about that. Now, with that out of the way, we'll uh, move on to all the hand wringing about how the government's going to close down in the next month, and it's going to be the end of the world because a bunch of uh, clerical people are going to get free vacations and uh, with pay for the next, uh, possibly for the next uh, month or so until they can work out some agreement about the budget, and we can wring our hands about that and uh, ignore the real problems that they never want to fix that everybody knows how they fix. I think anyone that's ever played football and thought about it a second what they were doing they know you got to have those five men blocking if you don't have those five men blocking and that one man that can throw or run you got uh you might as well just go home because you can't put points on the board and uh, the same thing about these problems with that we have whether they're monetary financial uh, international, um, I guess, uh, Powerball, we play with the Chinese and the Russians and all these wars that we want to get started or want to drag out. I don't understand why they can't solve one of those problems. But I think the truth is they don't want to solve a single problem if they can, and that's why they hate Trump, because he will solve a problem or two if he gets in there again. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. A segue from Jimmy Buffett, Saltwater Cowboy, and our tribute to him. Um, Carolina Clemson football struggling over the weekend. Now government. Um, (laughs) Boy, that's a real optimistic and encouraging topic to shift gears toward. Uh, Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You better tell you what I, I mean, I'll make a prediction. I don't, I don't want to stay on football. Let, let's move on to something else. Let's find another thing we can complain about, whine about, and, and gripe about. So I'm coming to Ash Rev just now, and I'm going to get your take on this because uh, I've done no scientific su- study on this, and I don't know what the survey says. We know inflation is rampant, right, Josh? I mean, we know things are a lot more expensive today than they were prior to COVID. Right. I mean, inflation, I mean, it's never been correctly measured. It's never been 2%. Um, you're poorer today than you were if you make twice as much money as you did 15 years ago. I mean, that's just the reality. If you're making $25,000 a year, 12 years ago, and you're making 50 today, your, your, your dollar doesn't go as far now as it did then. So you're poorer today making 50 than you were 12 years ago. Um, well, I mean, 2008, that would be 15 years ago when we started, you know, uh, fiat currency and, just losing our mind with printing money, a trillion here and a trillion there and a trillion over, you know, anyway. Um, but I told Rev, there's an observation I've made, and I don't know what to make of this. Um, everything's gotten more expensive, but I don't think anything's gotten more expensive quicker and by a higher percentage than fast food. Well, am I missing something? I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I don't go to a lot of nice restaurants. I mean, there are a couple at the beach that I go you know, my wife and I will go, but I mean, they, they wouldn't be, I mean, it's not like, you know, the Dom Perignon experience. I mean, it's nothing <laughs> like that. It would be brisket nachos that were 16 and now they're 18. 
you know, we share that in an entree. I mean, you know, you're getting old when you share meals. Uh, so my wife and I are now sharing meals. We're at that age. But but I stopped at a fast food place I'll leave unnamed. And at the end of the weekend, you know how you always have a kind of a little bit of kind of gaggle of money? You got a 10 and a 20. You're not sure if there are two fives in there or not. You know there's ones in there. It's kind of um, a small gaggle it's, it's after what, the weekend. It's, what, it's what's left over at the end of the yeah. weekend. And in your head, you're saying, do I have $38 or $48? I mean, you know about what it is, but you don't exactly what it is. So I had a 10 and some 20. I had a 10, a 20, and some ones. And I pulled up to this fast food restaurant, and I ordered um, a combo, just a simple combo, nothing out of the ordinary, no no, no other um, you know, a side item or anything. And I had the 10, the 20, and the, and I said, well, I'll just, you know, 10. I mean, I got the 10 in my hand, um, $14. That's right. $14. Yep. So I, you know, I called my wife to check on her. She was a bit behind me. And I said, I just stopped by this fast food joint. I had a 10 and a 20 and I knew the 10 would be enough because it's always been enough. So I didn't, I kind of put the 20 back in my wallet, Fourteen. $14. So here's my, here's my question. Everything has gotten more expensive. I mean, there's nothing we do today for the same price that we did it prior to COVID. We lost our minds. We printed trillions of dollars. We increased liquidity into the economy. It led to hyperinflation, but did it, did it, did it affect fast food more than anybody? In other words, I mean, a, a fast food meal today is about double what it was prior to covid i mean that would have been six seven eight dollars so in my head i'm conditioned six seven eight dollars because i didn't order like i didn't upsize it you know i didn't get the and and the extra this that or the other i mean it was a simple combo i mean you know give me combo number nine with a diet pepsi fourteen dollars and i'm like dude that can't be the case and i understand the brisket nacho has gone from 16 to 18 I understand the, um, you know, the, uh, the salmon's gone from, uh, you know, 24 to 27, but fast food has doubled in price. What's up with that? That is an interesting observation. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's my wife's observation, and it don't on me. She's right. I mean, everything has gotten more expensive, but if you go to a drive-thru, you better have a 401k. <laughs> I mean, you really better have a 401k I mean, if you go to a drive through The numbers I have that I complain about are almost identical because I picked up for uh, my, my son and I, and, just, and it was a drive through burger place. Uh, this what has we, been several months ago. What we call fast food. Right, and it was $28 for two. And typically when I'm buying for three, I mean, it's approaching 40 bucks for fast food. Then there's no white tablecloth. No. There's no, there's no free bread. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're lucky they hand it through you, hand yeah. it to you through the window or and, and bring look, it out to your car or something. To, to call these places fast food, they've redefined fast. That's true. I mean, I, I had two birthdays in the drive-thru line. <laughs> right. And then, and then and when they, the privilege when they hand it. you the food, it's like, get out of here and don't come back ever again. I mean, there's this one place that does a better job than anybody. You know, my pleasure. The others... It's like, you know, here's the bag of food. I'm sorry about the uh, the mustard around the top. I'm sorry about the, <laughs> the Pepsi on the side of the cup. But, you know, just have a good day. But try not to come by here again. Maybe that's the intent for the $14 for the combo. Maybe it's to get... But sometimes you really get lucky. Don't you feel like you hit the jackpot of some of those places you pull up and they don't 
ask you to go pull into spot number one and wait or two or three or <laughs> 10 or 12 or spot 38. You know you're doomed then. <laughs> right. You're there for an eclipse. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. let's go to the lawn. Someone's there. Breeze, good morning. Kid, it's, it's not the Under Armour shoes, it's all shoes. Uh, the modern shoes are making the feet weak, and all force production starts at the ground. And uh, you can see a renaissance of the way shoes are made, wider toe boxes and so forth. Carolina needs to dig a plow up a field somewhere by the stadium, get it muddy, and have the boys run in that, strengthen up their feet, strengthen up their ankles. That'll also translate to stronger knees. Problem solved one. The other problems are our problems, Jeff. What we call a problem, they call a success. Jeff calls up and tells you everything is going right, going good, and successful. But one thing I've noticed about these educated liberals is that none of them have ever owned a business. If I had to jump out on a limb, I bet you Jeff maybe never had a business. I don't know. I bet he probably taught school somewhere up north or worked at a big institution that is very reliant on government. Government, of course, is their God. I'd also tell you that most of them do not believe in God. And the reason that gold off fast food has gone up is because you're paying a, a very, very below average employee above average all wages. And they don't care. And so that's what you're getting there. So, I mean, and then, of course, the prices have gone up on everything because that was been the intention all along. And then the next big thing, of course, is going to be they're going to. Get away, get away from the dollar, get away from cash. And I told you last week what we've got to do, nobody's going to listen to me, but we've got to fight back against these people and nobody's fighting back. We're just complaining. You know, so, I mean, we're going to kind of get what we want there. You know, what we're asking for. We, you know, we, we complain, we complain, we complain, but nobody wants to go out there and cut the grass. You know, the grass is out, the grass is out. We're going to cut the damn grass, but nobody wants to, you know. So, but the foot problem is, there's a foot problem. It's not a shoe problem, kid. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. I thought of Breeze when I said that. I mean, I really did, because Breeze has told me before, you take a 6'5", 295-pound man that can move around a bit, I mean, it's hard to design a shoe. You know, to accommodate, uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I guess you can build one, but it costs a lot of money, and you can't build them at sweatshops in China, you know, mass-producing mm-hmm. these shoes and kind of kind of hoping uh, for the best there. That's kind of an look, and this this may be anecdotal. I mean, it just may be me, but it seems to me that the the inflation of the fast food sector of our economy has far outpaced inflation. We know inflation is everywhere, and we know all the smart people said it's transitory. Nothing to see here. Uh, it, it'll be gone before you know it, right? I mean, we're we're going jack. We're going to increase liquidity by forty percent. In other words, 40% of the liquidity that was floating around in the economy two years ago, I mean, they've quantitative tightened some. I mean, you know, the Fed's balance sheet has shrunk a little bit, not much. But we've seen, I mean, there's not quite as much liquidity in the economy today as there was a year after COVID. So 21, 20, yeah, about 18 months ago is when we really began, um, you know, taking some liquidity out of the economy with quantitative tightening. Uh, Nowhere near enough, but it accelerated a bit. And that's when you saw some uncertainty uh, in the economy but it, why why fast food? I mean, why is it is it just me? I don't eat I don't eat a lot of fast food. I mean, I try not to, but but on occasion it's the best option. I mean, it, you know, I'm on the run. Rev was talking about trying to get back from Florida. I mean, the next thing you know, you're in a, you're in a parking lot of a, dry, a fast food restaurant. Some of these places do a lot better than others, and I'm not going to call anybody out by name. Uh, I don't disparage people's uh, business. 
but but it is interesting to me that it seems inflation has far outpaced normal inflation in that particular sector. And I guess if you've got a a subpar employee, but to get that person to come to work, you've got to pay a premium salary. I mean, you got to make that up somewhere. I don't know the dynamics of fast food. I mean, I've never been in that business. I don't understand the cost of goods sold and, you know, the food costs and the margins. And I, I don't. I mean, I don't have any idea how that operates, franchise fees and some of the, um, you know, that takes some money out of your out of your margin. You were talking about um, Elon Musk a second ago mm-hmm. in SpaceLink, SpaceX. SpaceX. Starlink. Starlink. Yeah. Um, remember CP? Uh, the guy, the guy whose oh, names yeah. we still can't pronounce. Yep. He had an interesting article, the wall street journal. Uh, and then on zero hedge, I read over the weekend and I actually archived it, put it in my phone. Um, we're talking about inflation, right? And while I'm running my mouth, I'm trying to find this article. What, what if I told you that the two premium models, the high end cars that Tesla makes, we're talking about Elon Musk here, the model S and model X. I mean, what if I told you that in January of 2023, the Model S was 104.990, the Model X was 129.90? I mean, that that is the beginning of the year, and in January 12, they lowered the prices 94.990, 109.990. In March, they lowered the price again. In April, they lowered the price again. In May, they lowered the price again. Um, let me get here and move, move down my chart here a little bit. In, um, in August, they lowered again. And on September one, they lowered the price again. So at the beginning of the year, the Tesla model S was $104,990. Guess what it is today? $74,990. The Tesla model X was one twenty, $120,990 today. It's $79,990, and what the, I mean, CP is arguing that it's the first time of the modern auto market we've seen the the, the innovative collide with a legacy. In other words, remember we argued that Ford and GM are trying to buy market share, and Elon is basically saying, not on my watch. I mean, not on my watch. Now, here's what it would concern me, and this is where I'm not, Stanford educated. I'm not um, CP. I don't have an IQ off the chart. But isn't that kind of automatic depreciation of an automobile? I mean, if I if I bought a Tesla Model X in January for $120,990 and Dave can go buy a brand new one today for $79,990, what is mine worth? True. I mean, I understand what he's trying to do is corner market share. I mean, I get that. He's trying to make sure Ford and GM and Cadillac and Mercedes, because Cadillac and Mercedes basically said they're going after the Tesla high-end models. I mean, you know, they got a bullseye on their back. Um, They think they make kind of a um, as quality a product that they can get their price point to a certain place. And I'm talking about tax credits and, uh, you know, a lot of creativity within, within the marketplace. And once again, I understand that that CP is arguing for the first time in the American auto industry, innovation and technology are, 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 have, have created such an advantage for one manufacturer that the other just can't sustain. I mean, it's called price whipping is what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're trying to dominate the market by 
just lowering prices. I mean, you know, Ford and GM say, um, you want to pay $120,990 for an X? We make a, a, a similar product for um, $88,480. And Tesla says, well, we'll sell you ours for $79,990. I mean, you think about that, guys. That is a, what, 20, that's a $40,000 decrease in price since the beginning of the year. $40,000. But what is the value? I mean, if you bought, I mean, I understand, you know, vehicles depreciate. But, but take the depreciation, the normal depreciation of an automobile, which is a major expense. I mean, that's a big purchase. Yeah. T- take the, the purchase you make of a $120,990 car that Dave can go buy for $79,990. What is mine worth? I mean, it's a year old or it's eight months old, nine months old. And you can buy a brand new one for $40,000 less today. There's going to be some conflict in the marketplace here. There's going to have to be some conflict in the marketplace. Casual observation here. I was in Florida over the weekend. There seemed to be more Teslas per capita on the road in Florida. For some reason, it's like you. sometimes I was driving up the interstate yesterday and like three in a row just passed. I mean, unexplainable. I don't know why. Just casual observation. No official study there, but there's a lot of Teslas on the well, road. Elon has a big presence in Florida. That's You're true. You're talking about the lot show he put on with some yep. of the launching of, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any idea what motivates somebody to buy a Tesla. I mean, if you want an electric car, I guess you go look at the Tesla first, don't you? I still think they're cool. Well, I, I mean, mean, of course they are, but, you know, are they practical? Have we gotten yeah. to that point yet? But it seems to me in fending off some competitors in the marketplace by lowering the price, none by $400, <laughs> Not by $4,000, but by $40,000, and they're remaining profitable in some way, shape, or form. Wouldn't you be mad if you bought one at the, the beginning of the year price so, this so year? So what do you do there? I mean, it, why would you buy one at seventy nine nine ninety? Why would you wait a month and hope it goes to sixty nine nine ninety? It's almost like the buy one, get one free price. You know, um, I'm going to wait and see if you can buy one, get two free. You know, they have some of these, um, not just BOGOs, but... Bogos plus one eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Somebody on the phone? Yep. Let's go there. Larry in the PD. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Um, as usual, y'all took a left turn on me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can tie it all together. We took a left turn and a right turn with a car story there, Larry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I bought a car over the weekend, and as I was sitting in the uh, finance manager's office, he said, uh, "You want this gap insurance?" Which is the if, if you total your car, it pays the gap between what your car will be worth. Uh, to the insurance company and what you might owe on it. And I said, dude, I said, I beat y'all up pretty good, and I put a pretty good down payment. And he looked at me, and he said, you know this thing's going to fall apart one day, and you are going to be in the grave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, wow, okay. Well, if you keep the car, then then the gap isn't a problem. You know, those people still get to drive their car, even though they lost $40,000 on it. Um, but the, the rate of depreciation is directly – proportional to how much you pay for the car and the newer it is and the higher the price we used to say years ago cadillacs have the worst appreciation but they're also the highest price car you know the minute you drive it off the lot you lose 15 20 percent because you're paying a premium for that luxury brand and teslas are the same way um it's it's going to be rough but what i was going to tell you is in 2015 uh, i started a new job in a new town and uh, we ate a lot of lunches out uh, with this job, and um, my goal was to stay under six dollars. 
And sometimes, depending on the restaurant, I'd have to drink water. Sometimes, if I was in the right restaurant, I could drink a, a, a tea, you know, and I'd be right around that $6 mark. I can remember when I told myself, okay, let's see if we can keep it under $10. And now, if, I, if I'm if i not going to be a cheapskate and, leave, and not leave a tip, I'm going to pay $20 to eat lunch in those same restaurants. And that's not since 2008. That's since 2015. That's only eight years. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. I just had a text. I mean, I know this to be true. I just had a text that said, um, ah, let me get this. Uh, this person has worked out. Fast food workers made seven fifty an hour in March of 2020. Now they have to pay 15 to $20 an hour to hire these people. Um, you know, and I don't know what the answer is, but, but if I'm paying and Larry's paying 15, $20 for lunch, I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, with all due respect to restaurant owners, I go home more now than I ever have. I schedule my day giving me the ability to go home. That never was a priority to me. I mean, I just said, I, I got seven bucks. You know, I can figure out a way to, to find something halfway there's a grilled chicken sandwich at every fast food joint. It may not be the best in the world, but but it'll do. And as long as it was six bucks, seven bucks, that and a you know a Diet Pepsi, I'm good with that. But all of a sudden, that experience has gone from six or seven to thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. And if you try casual fine dining, it's fifteen, sixteen, and you're having to tip, you know, uh, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, whatever it is that you tip. So you're in twenty bucks for lunch. I mean that that's I don't care how much you make. Yep. That's just there's something about the psyche of that. So so twenty dollars for lunch on a Tuesday? And it wasn't real memorable? <laughs> I I just think we we're we're really skewing the marketplace and, and I you know, restaurants are scrambling. I mean they're they're having enough trouble finding people to come to work. And when they do find someone to come to work, they've historically paid one thing and they're paying, you know, nearly double what they were, triple in some cases. Uh, what they were. What What is a good restaurant worker worth? I don't know. Uh, I don't have any idea. But I know the market has forced some of these owners and operators to charge me 14 bucks for a combo. <laughs> that, that historically has been six, seven, eight. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Trying our best to get back in the groove. And I, I'm leveling with you guys. The reason we're not talking about mask and vaccines and Biden and Trump and, uh, you know, um, fake names and all these other sorts of things. You got to give me today to catch up. I mean, I, I just did not been pay disconnected. a lot of attention. I mean, Buffett died and it kind of knocked me off center. I mean, it really did because, um, you know, Rev, Rev said this morning, I mean, he was a, um, he was a kind of a genre of himself. And if you were no born doubt. in the late fifties, early sixties, you were raised in the late sixties and seventies, partied a little bit in the late 70s and 80s, I mean, Buffett was a big deal. I mean, he really intrigued, especially if you enjoy the coastal lifestyle, the beach. Josh, you're looking like, what? I mean, I don't get it. You, you, you wouldn't. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. You wouldn't. But, um, I mean, is there a genre called saltwater cowboy? I don't know. I mean, I've said that this morning, you know, to me. And, you know, he was just, he was a unique, unique performer that had a large, large following. And I don't know that I would be considered a paired head, but I was certainly... Very, 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 very fond of his music. Very fond of the lyrics. Very fond of the lifestyle that he sang a lot about. So, so I'm reeling because Buffett died. I got a buddy of mine who's a genuine parrothead, and he was in mourning. 
I mean, he was distraught. I'm he sure. was like, how I mean, many I, people do you know that would go if if Jimmy Buffett played in either of the Carolinas, say North or South Carolina, they would be there regardless. Well, you just said a, uh, an hour ago that you thought his following was similar to the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, There's no doubt to me. He had a very cult-like following. I mean, if you're right. If you're a Buffett fan, well, let me back up. If you're a parrot head, you felt obligated. If he were in the Carolinas, you know, I got to go see Jimmy Buffett play. Now, now, he said that his best concerts were in Wrigley Field in Chicago, in New York. I mean, he never he said, said, I never really could understand that. Um, but he was a, a radio enigma. Is that fair to say? I mean, being in radio, you really didn't know what he was. I mean, he, is he country? Yeah. Is he pop? Yeah. Is he rock? A little bit. Is he, um, you know, is he a little folk? Yeah. I mean, you really didn't know mm-hmm. what 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 format to play him on. I still don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I think he resented that. I think he Red said he wasn't very kind to the radio people, uh, and I, it's probably because he resented the fact that you guys would never play him on the radio. And I don't think you didn't like his music. You just know his songs are no doubt worthy i mean if you are a fan and you listen you see him in concert certainly if you're a parrot head i mean his songs the way he wrote them sang them performed them uh were worthy of being a hit any any time any day of the week up against anything and you and i were surprised when we found out he stumbled on three quarters of a billion dollars <laughs> i read that i mean i was thinking a couple of hundred million i mean i knew he'd done well and he'd um you know he'd made a lot of money for a long time um and i remember a squabble he had with madonna about some beach property. And I said, well, if Buffett squabbling with Madonna about beach property, Margaritaville's worked out okay for, for, for <laughs> you him. But, but, um, but, but, you know, just similar to being a Springsteen guy, I think, I think Rev will admit Bruce has this loyal, loyal, intense base of our followers. The Grateful Dead have historically been known as the Deadheads. And, um, and I think Buffett's in that category with the Parrot Heads. And he'll be missed. I mean, he really, and, and not that old at 76. I mean, that's not, a real old man in today's in today's world, um, and then the Gamecocks and you know they stink it up on. So I'm just like, what do I do now? Yeah. I mean, wh- wh- where do I go from weekend, here? Man. I mean, is it is it time just to end it all? Or you know, or and then Clemson loses and it rejuvenates me. I wake I wake up this morning about a hundred texts because oh I went to bed at halftime. <laughs> I mean, misery loves company. I'm being honest. So I wake up this morning at about a hundred texts of um, you know, and I'm like. Surely they didn't lose. And I go to Tiger Net real quick. They did. Mm. And I lingered. I, mean, I, I lingered on Tiger Net <laughs> for bet. a minute or two to hear, to hear some of the respondents, you know, um, state there. Anyway, uh, so a rough weekend for football in South Carolina, an even rougher weekend for those who consider themselves uh, paired heads. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. When I was younger, I used to go watch uh, Jimmy Buffett down at the beach. And I would go over to the Bowery and watch the Bowery boys play. You know who they are, right? That'd be Alabama. Yes, sir. And then I used to go over to the Coachman and Four in Bennettsville and watch the Platters, the Spinners, the Four Tops, Aretha Franklin. All those big names used to come through South Carolina. So they all got their roots around the beach and all different places. So. We're a big genre as far as every type of music. That's why I love all music, except rap. I can't figure out rap. But just to let everybody know, the government was shut down from Friday afternoon until this morning. And I don't remember the world coming to an end. Do you? 
I think we but made it through okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. The, the biggest problem is we're being run by morons. I mean, they created the perfect storm when when you take take down energy, which is the lifeblood of our economy, and raise that price. You shut down business, which reduces the amount of goods being produced, and you shove money out the door as fast as you can, which puts more money in the economy than goods, the prices go up. And they think that by raising interest rates, they're going to fix that. They're not. Right now, we're in a wage spiral. Freeman used to talk about that all the time. When you get to a certain point, you go into a a wage spiral, and that's what's happening. That's what's driving most of the uh, inflation now, and now energy is starting to creep back up. So that it, we're, we're just going to go into a death spiral if they don't do something real quick because everything is unexpected, unexpected, you know, drop in employment, and we, we still – don't have the people working we had before the pandemic. The, the participation rate is about almost half to three quarters of a percent lower. And then they say, well, we had an unexpected July and August spending spree. What, what, what are you talking about? What happens every July and August? Kids go back to school. And then we had an unexpected trillion dollar debt on credit cards. Well, where the hell do they think people are going to get money if they don't put it on their credit cards? So we're being run by morons. And we definitely need to uh, usher some of these people out the door. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. I mean, that fundamentally, that's the question that I ask, and I don't know the answer to that question. What does the world look like if we must address our debt? I mean, what what happened? What is the economic consequence of America deciding we're not going to spend a trillion dollars a year? I mean, there's two trillion this year. I mean, imagine that we're going to spend two trillion dollars this year that we don't have. I mean, that's going to be our yearly annual deficit this year, two trillion dollars. But how dependent has economic normalcy come uh, on government spending? In other words, how much is government contributing to economic growth? I mean, I'm not talking about the the um, the less efficient way of allocating capital. I mean, I think we all agree, whether Republicans are in charge or Democrats are in charge, and that's kind of the argument I've made about every time you take a dollar from the private sector and give it to the public sector, the economy becomes less efficient. I mean, it doesn't matter if Republicans are in charge, Democrats are in charge. Government is not going to as effectively and efficiently allocate capital as the private sector, but it's still a contributor to economic activity. What would the GDP in America today be? If the government said we're not going to spend a dollar next year that we don't have, and you had to cut spending by, in this case, $2 trillion, normally a trillion dollars, what does the economy, what does GDP look like if that's the case? What does the country's um, consequence look like if indeed um, that's the case? That's the kind of the scenario I try to play out in my head. Uh, it, it scares you to death. I mean, it really and truly does. If we ever were to be forced to get serious about our debt, what sort of economic consequence um, lies ahead. I mean, I'm not talking about the majority of people at the Fed are Keynesian economists. Remember, we did a bit a while back about how many, uh, I think the Fed had 300 economists 
and about 260 voted Democrat. They were registered Democrats. I mean, that's just a real fancy way, or excuse me, that's a less than authoritative way of saying they're Keynesian economist. And and I've always wondered what what is the economic fallout? What would mining your world look like if the government said we can't sell our debt? Nobody wants to buy our debt. So we got to live within our means. I mean, what does the economy look like if indeed uh, that were the case? And if you look at all the debt, you know, we talked about consumer debt. Uh, Joe was talking about revolving credit card debt. It's in excess of $1 trillion. We got about one seven in student debt. That's going to have to start being paid back, we think. I mean, if Biden can't pull a rabbit out of the hat, so to speak, it looks like some of those payments will, uh, you know, they'll start back in, in timely fashion. Uh, if you're paying five, I think the average payment's $540 a month. I mean, since 2020, if you've not been forced to pay 540 a month, and all of a sudden you are, what sort of um, impact does that have on your household? It's kind of interesting. I read a stat a couple of weeks back. Should have talked about it on the show, but I read a stat a couple of weeks back that 20%, I might have been 25% of all people who have um, student debt were not paying the student debt. 25% bought a new car. I'm going to imagine that. Uh, imagine if you've got reprieve on your student debt. Rev's having to pay $540 a month for student loans. And all of a sudden, the government says, you don't have to pay it anymore because COVID screwed everything up, and we know you don't have any money, and we're having to try to fix this thing the best way we know how. Some people can't go to work. Some places can't open. Uh, we're all wearing masks and being mandated to get vaccines, or being coerced would be a better word, and getting uh, vaccines. And, and we kind of make our way through that. I would say the best way we knew how, but we didn't do it the best way we knew how. We did it the way people like Fauci said do it. It was not the best way we knew how. We knew much better ways. We just chose to let Pfizer and the CDC and WHO drive drive the train and NIH and, and Fauci. So we didn't do it the best way we knew how. But we get to the other side of that, and some of these student loan providers are going, hey, how about us? You know, we hadn't got paid in a long time. Um, and... And Dave Baker, Josh, and Ken are made to pay their student debt again. But I bought a car. 25% of people who had their student debt, not forgiven, but put in a delayed payment or deferred, I guess would be the best way to say it. Guess what they did? They didn't save that $540 for that day when they know the student debt would be uh, due again. They went out and bought a car. <laughs> With money, they just found. I mean, they found an extra $540. Why not go buy a car? You know what I'd say? If the government's stupid enough to do that, I'm stupid enough to go buy a car. <laughs> and when the government comes after me with that $543 I owe in student debt, I just cross that bridge when I get there because there's no telling what they may do if 20% of us buy cars and we can't pay it. They may make some provision for us because that's just kind of what they do in the name of hoping you vote for people that believe in lucky leprechauns farting nuggets of gold <laughs> to solve all the problems <laughs> and, and financial straits we continually find ourselves in. Take a break. Back in just a few minutes. So i got to ask you this, Rev. Mm -hmm. you, you'd be the person to ask. So, so you agree it's kind of a genre in itself. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. But parrot head music is sure. not country. But what was it more of? I mean, was it mm. pop? Was it? Um, I mean, when you guys played it on the radio, and Buffett didn't like, Dr. Will Bolt's here. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. Um, Buffett didn't like radio guys. 
because they didn't play his stuff. Yeah. And and he was kind of a jerk to us, what Rev says. Uh, <laughs> That's what I was told. <laughs> I, I always tried to get people backstage when he would come through concert. I'd have requests. Hey, can you get me backstage? It'd be real fans, real parrot but, but let, let, let me be Buffett for a second. So, so Rev just explained his case. So you know what I'd say if I'm Buffett? You're talking about those guys that don't play my music? <laughs> oh, yeah, let's yeah. help them. Let's get all their people backstage yeah. that we can. Because he, his music was worthy of radio play to be as big a hit as any. And he had a few. I mean, Come Monday, I think, was his biggest mm -hmm. hit. Margaritaville is an anthem, but I don't think it was the, the biggest chart-topping hit or anything like that. So maybe he had a, you know, he was justified in the way he was thinking. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, hey, we're from the radio station. Do you think you can help us get backstage passes <laughs> to Jimmy Buffett? We've got these chicks. You know, that, that, that want to go backstage, and you know how we like to impress chicks. Um, and Buffett says, oh, yeah, you're talking about those guys that don't play my music. Yeah, sure. Let, let's, yeah, let's, let's fill the back rooms mm -hmm. up with, um, with those guys that won't play my music. But I don't and, know if you talk about genre. We played him when I was programming, you know, top 40 stations in the South. You play him a lot. We played a lot of his songs that weren't hits just because you threw him into the mix because everybody loved him. And he had a big following, yeah, no, no yeah. question about it. And you're in the business of making customers happy as we are here today. And it's a sad day. It really and truly it is. is. Um, it, it, I mean, Robbie Roberts, I, I've t I'm telling you guys, when you were born in 1963, I was, you're going to spend the rest of your life dealing with dying. I mean, you, you just are. The, the people you admired and respected and looked up to and had an impact or effect on your life, they're just going to start dying more frequently. It's not fun to say. It's not easy to accept, but it's just a reality. The people that you uh, have, have been, you know, somewhat impactful in your life in a myriad of different ways, they're getting older. Guess what? We're getting older as they get older. So it's inevitable that some of these folks are going to start, um, you know, crossing over to the other side. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Vert Odom, Marlboro County. Morning, Vert. Good morning, uh, Ken. I mean, you agree on a lot, and one thing we do agree on is uh, he went to Paris. That was my favorite song. It was one of the first songs that I remembered hearing, and uh, I probably sang uh, Come Monday 500 times doing karaoke over the years, but uh, <laughs> it did it did chart out at uh, number eight. That was his best hit ever on the Hot 100 on Billboard magazine. Uh, but just uh, truly uh, uh, saw him many times, uh, saw him in person uh, in the bar I worked at in Columbia in college. He came down and after a concert and played for two or three hours with us in the bar, but just a great individual, and uh, he had a following, and he was also, like Ken, like you said, a good businessman. His net worth was about a billion dollars, so that's a, that's a pretty good businessman. Yep, no doubt uh, about it. On the political scene, uh, President Trump, whether people know it or not, he's winning lawsuits every week. He won two big lawsuits last week in Arizona and Florida. Two uh, Obama-appointed judges ruled uh, against the plaintiffs and dismissed the cases that uh, they cannot uh, bar President Trump from the ballot. So that's huge, particularly when you're looking at there were Obama judges and stuff. And it all dealt with the 14th Amendment. So these cases are going to have a far-reaching effect on down the road other issues that come up, particularly with some of these federal cases and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. The poll out of Mississippi, President Trump's polling at 59 percent. He's got like a 41-point lead on DeSantos. DeSantos' big uh, million-dollar pack, $50 million pack of Rescue America, they have pulled out of his campaign and are endorsing President Trump. So that's a pretty much the nail on the coffin, I guess, for the DeSantis campaign. But, you know, President Trump is uh, way ahead of everybody else, and I think the handwriting's on the wall. We're about a— 
132 days away from the Iowa caucuses, and uh, I, I think pretty much the, the primaries before we even had our Iowa caucus, it's a pretty much done deal. I think President Trump is going to be the nominee of the Republican Party, and I think everybody needs to uh, convalesce around President Trump because we need to straighten this country out, and I think he is the only person that can do it. Thank you, Vert. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number, kind of reminiscing on some of the um, – I don't know that I ever saw Buffett I saw, shoes and flip flops. Is anybody? Is there a picture out there anywhere of Buffett with anything other than barefooted or with um, or with flip flops? And um and and uh, you know this this is I'll get this is kind of an insight into country boys. Um, when country boys say this, they're a little bit caught off guard. When country boys say, "Damn," um, <laughs> but there's a certain way you say it. And, and and when I you know they said Jimmy Buffett's net worth is reported to be a billion dollars. In two seconds, I said, damn. <laughs> yeah. like, so did I. Like, wow. I, yeah. I mean, I knew he was living above average means. I mean, I understand the guy's been good. singing and selling out concerts, uh, you know, for a long, 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 long time. I just didn't know it began with a B. You know, it's easy when you say McCartney's a billionaire. Well, McCartney was a Beatle. I mean, you know, there's so much commercial and songwriting success there. I mean, the, the rest and residue of Paul and John – you know, would be a billion bucks or north of a billion bucks. And then if you hear somebody like Madonna or Michael Jackson or some of the other mainstream artists, you would, okay, I, I get that. Taylor Swift is Great probably scene. pushing a billion dollars now. But a dude that never wore <laughs> shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a credit and testimony to his, you know, business savvy. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, I watched an interview, Dr. Bolt, and he, he said that at some point in time he realized that it was more than artistry, more than songwriting. This was a business, and Margaritaville was a brand, and he had to try and figure out a way to monetize that brand, and he did. Um, no question about it. Well, I mean, like you say, a pretty smart, shrewd guy. Uh, just didn't have much of an appeal uh, in Buffalo, New York. It's <laughs> flip-flops. No, it doesn't really work uh, for nine months out of the year up there. Who? I mean, Springsteen, a big deal in Buffalo? Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, I, I would Higgins imagine. Still. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. And fellow Yankees. You know how the Yankees are. <laughs> yeah. They, they it's, like... it's Springsteen, though. I mean, come on. That well, I mean, it resonates I, all I, four I, I time get that. zones. I mean, and, and Rev and I agreed. Uh, Springsteen, Buffett, the Grateful Dead. I mean, there's something yeah. unique about their, their following. It's, it's, like, it's like Trump's base. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Springsteen concert go with the Buffett Parrot Head, uh, the, the yeah. Dead Head. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like Trump's base. Um let me ask you this. Now but you keep comparing Springsteen. Now does Springsteen have like are his followers named something like Deadheads and Parrotheads? I mean what, is there any East Readers, I think is Maybe. what they okay. kind of refer to themselves as. I don't know. I mean I don't I don't have any idea. Um because you're kind of lifting your guy up to cult status yeah. there. I, I just mean, noticed. You know. not, not really. I mean is 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 Grateful Dead cult status? Oh, yeah. Is Buffett cult status? Yeah, I, th yeah. I say so. Is Springsteen cult status? Eh, arguable. I mean, you see where I'm headed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I think, yeah. Arguable. But, I mean, neither one, none of those three acts have had as much commercial success as Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, true. And, and nobody is saying, well, I mean, they'll, you know, they'll do whatever it takes to go see Taylor Swift unless you're 18 or 16 or 12 or 13. I mean, I paid... You know, I, I paid more than I care to imagine for my, you know, at the time, 12-year-old daughter and her friend to go to see Taylor Swift. And You're a good dad. Yeah. Well, I mean, a broke dad, but a good dad. <laughs> you know, no, no question about it. So let's go back to, to um, let, let's go back to, uh, to Vern. I don't, you know, early American history is early American history. 
we, we talked about Andrew Jackson being a political disruptor, and absolutely uh, in, in the in the in the same spirit, Trump is a yep. political disruptor. That but line. but what do you make of all the negativity around the Trump campaign and the momentum it seems to generate? I mean, it well, what, is, is I mean, it, it's abnormal. There, there's a reason that people fell in love with Buffett's music yep. or, or with the Deadhead. I, I, that, that that may be a good comparison to talk about Trump's yeah. base. So it's a, it's a, re, a relatability, maybe? I, I don't know. I'm asking Bolt. I mean, he's the it's, historian here. He's yeah. the guy that's supposed to have all yeah, the answers. Yeah, tell us. What's the answer? Yeah. It's, it's really so – we haven't seen anything quite like this ever before in American history. There's been some popular politicians. Jackson had a very strong following FDR in the 20th century, but nothing at the level of President Trump. And it's 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 a testament to, to his appeal that the people are just willing to to support him uh, through thick and thin. And it's, I mean, we, we've said it before, right? He's the Lazarus man. The, the political rules just don't apply to to President Trump. Anybody else, when these these things come out, it's like, all right, game over. President Trump, it it, it increases his popularity. He, he, he grows stronger through this. And Earth, there is an unhealthy obsession with those on the left who just, can't let it go. They just are not going to be happy until he's in an orange jumpsuit behind bars off the ballot. He just, he lives rent free in their heads. I mean, they are just, they, they're going to do anything they can think of. I'm sure the, the 14th Amendment thing is going to wind up in the lap of the Supreme Court and Roberts is probably going to punt on it. Can, can, can you imagine though, if Roberts cobbles together four other justices to say, no, 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 he's off the ballot. You, you, you can't put him on there. Then what happens if you get some Republican legislatures, Republican secretaries say, no, 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 we're going to put them on. I mean, I, I think it, it's t- it's a terrible, terrible road for the country to go down. Okay, it's, it's unprecedented in that aspect. But surely there's been presidents that have been targeted before. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, politics is rough and tumble. It's a zero-sum no, game. I mean, there's a, a winner and a loser, and, yep. and you play for keeps, and if you don't like it, I mean, I tell people who come to me at times saying, hey, I'm thinking about running for this office or that office. My first question, Rev knows this is always, you ever tasted your own blood? <laughs> and what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, it, it doesn't taste good. I mean, you know, a lot of people aren't cut out to taste their own their own blood. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, politics has always been rough and tumble, and yeah. early American history is no <laughs> exception to that. But, but having said that, Dr. Bolt, is there any example of a, a a politician being legally targeted? In other words, there, there seems to be an effort. And I'll say this: I, here's what I believe <laughs> yeah. has happened. And and I, you know, I don't have any study to show this. Uh, I don't teach early American history at Francis Marion. But here's what I think happened: I think that the the Democrats believed that Trump was the most beatable Republican in the field. They wanted to run against him. And in they there you go. They kind of yeah. wanted to run against him. And then they kind of got, I'm not sure if we want to do this or not. <laughs> I mean, this, you know, and they they indict and it gets stronger. They indict again and it gets stronger. They indict again and it gets stronger. <laughs> and I think we're to the point now they're like, guys, I'm not sure we can beat this cat. So let's get him off the playing field some yeah, way, somewhere. somehow. And now it's, um, you know, to disqualify him from being on the ballot in certain states. Do you think I'm barking up the right tree there? No, I think, right. You can't. Uh... They're afraid. They're afraid. They can't beat him at the polls, and they're afraid. Maybe in a one-on-one race, who knows what's going to. The Democrats don't have the most popular guy at the top of their ticket. He's not their ideal candidate. This is the bed they've made, and here's a guy who's like, "Hey, man, wait a minute. This 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 guy's a wild card. A lot of people like him. If Biden has a blunder, a mistake, 
September, October next year, then suddenly, hey, uh, President Trump or Vice President Harris, uh, that might be an easy decision for a lot of people to make at that point. So, no, you gotta, you got to knock them down. You, you, you got to remove them any way you can. And so, I, yes, it seems like anything is on the table. Nothing is off limits. And if they get stopped, I mean, who knows what other tricks they've possibly got up their sleeves. I mean, they're just not going to rest until this guy is is long gone. I mean, they probably won't breathe until the poor guy passes away. Well, just... I mean, and, and I'll tell you this, and it, I don't think this is anecdotal. I mean, you know, I've asked Josh. Josh, what would the universe of your sphere of influence believe? Uh, Josh, I'll ask you this. You're, you're 25. You're, you're a Trump supporter. Are you more of a Trump supporter today than you've ever been? And, and those who, in your age group, who have similar political dispositions, how do they feel? Absolutely. I think he is uh, very clearly being persecuted, and that only like invigorates the uh, patriotic spirit, as you would say. Even with younger people, see that's people interesting like to me. Yeah, uh, that that's just very interesting to me. I mean, he's not going to win the young vote. I mean, we know that. I mean, the Republican right. historically yeah. doesn't win the Tough. young vote. But if he doesn't get killed in that circle, you yeah. know what I mean. If he holds mm-hmm. right, like a, a, a certain percentage of that, Rev, yeah. I'll ask you mm-hmm. in, in your world. Um, I mean, you're a Trump supporter. You're more ardent Trump supporter than I am. Mm-hmm. But being a Trump supporter in, in the universe of your sphere of influence, do, do you find the, the support to be greater or less than it was prior to the indictment? I haven't seen it go down. Yeah. And you would think that some people in the middle would be like, uh, enough of that. I mean, maybe there is something to this and we just ought to go a different direction. But I haven't, I haven't seen it go down. And of course my support goes beyond the fact I think he was a good president and you know he deserves 4 years again to to finish the job so to speak and that he went through so much because the forces lined up against him and put him through more than I don't know if Dr. Bolt in history was there any other or maybe maybe Jackson <laughs> but is there any other president in history that has had that type of uh, uh, political persecution? So much opposition I mean no Maybe maybe Andrew Johnson, but he he brought a lot of it on he saw himself. It. Yes, <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to put it. Right? I mean Johnson, they would Johnson Congress would pass bills, Congress would he, Johnson would veto it, and then Congress they would bet as to how quickly they could override his vetoes. And so I mean he was essentially a figurehead as a president. They disliked Jackson as well. They couldn't impeach him, so they they censured him. And then Jackson's supporters at the very very end, right before he left, officially removed the censure. From the books, much to the chagrin and the horror of his opponents, and so technically he he wasn't censured. But I mean, we've we've said this before. We've we've continued just to break the mold with President Trump. They're just you, you'll write a book on all of the presidents, and you have to have just a whole separate chapter on President Trump, just for what he has had to endure. There's just been nothing like it in American history. We'll name that segment from Margarita to Monticello. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll take a break. And to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, nice. And to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, there you go. Go. From, nice. from Margaritaville to Monticello, back to Mar-a-Lago. And now we'll take a break. <laughs> well done. Pay some bills. Be back in just a few moments. I'm not Catholic, but I got to do a confessional. You ready? During the break, I got a good Clemson friend of mine. He's a good buddy of mine. I love him like a brother, but somebody sent me a picture of a screenshot of Steve Spurrier wearing a Duke jersey or a Duke shirt, golf shirt. And I sent that picture to my Clemson buddy, and I said, he got you again. <laughs> and I'm not going to repeat what he sent me back. Because <laughs> this is a family-oriented. You're number uh, one, I think. This is a family-oriented <laughs> radio show. Yeah. Uh, is somebody on the phone? Yeah. Let's go. Dr. Will Bolt, history chair, Francis Marion University is here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy enough 
that a professor would come on this show. It's even crazier that a professor would come on the show and we give a phone number and people call in <laughs> you know, just randomly without being vetted with no idea what it is they're going to talk about. And, so and let's a, go to the phone. A Tennessee fan. Yeah, he's a volunteer. Yeah. Um, we're we're in his shirt today. You, you know what? Mm-hmm. They kind of owe us one. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's, and it's that, looking like it that game, that game is circled. Trust yeah. me, Tennessee fan is waiting in the tall grass for y'all. Yeah, yeah. I, I can I get know, it. Uh, that, that'll be one of those. I just, <laughs> uh-huh. I drink yeah. a heap. <laughs> I hope so, so too. Yep. Let's get to the How ball. much is a heap? <laughs> a heap's a butt load. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Williams in Orangeburg right. listening to WTQS. Hello, Williams. You're on the air. Hey, um, good morning. Um, good morning, sir. Um, let's talk about the Power Boys. What was the charge that they sent him jail for? Ah, they were somewhat, weren't they involved in January 6th? Insurrection, right? Yeah. Sedition, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what they're being charged with. I mean, I think some have already been found guilty, they're right, Williams? Jail for, right? Yeah. Uh-huh, okay. One more question to you. Uh, how old is um, Trump Rassley? Too old? <laughs> 90 years old. 10 years old in Joe Biden. Right. Right. Okay. Let me let me speak to your young guy. guy yes, there. I got one question for him. Come on. You through with me? <laughs> Josh. Josh. Oh, Josh. Okay, good. Josh. You oh. ready, Josh? Okay. Okay, Josh. The number, the three top things that young people who are going to vote this year in the when next year when the president election, climate change, guns, and abortion. You know, Ron DeSantis turned down over four hundred million dollars from the from the um, energy department. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. Um, but I mean, when you say they're they're going to vote on abortion, okay. Guns, okay. Um, climate change, okay. But but you know where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on gun rights? Where do you stand on on abortion? I mean, these are very serious debates. Yeah. I mean, th- these are honest debates. I mean, people have a different opinion about the Second Amendment. People have a different opinion about abortion. People have a different opinion about climate change. I mean, to say that young people are going to vote for for a, I don't know. Is it is it Josh? You can answer this better than I. I mean, are young people waiting to be told what to believe? On abortion, guns, and climate change, are, are young willing? Are young people willing to try and make their own minds up? Considering all the information both parties, uh, let's be honest, propagandize with. I mean, aren't young people? Or are they going to vote on a fifteen dollar combo meal from a fast food place? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I think that uh, people my age generally overestimate their intelligence, and they, <laughs> they. <laughs> That, that never ends. I mean, that, that, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. There. Yeah. But they fancy themselves as like these philosophers and politician types and, and whatnot. And honestly, it's, I don't think they're waiting to be told what to do, but I, I think they're waiting maybe for you guys to die. So they, so they, <laughs> well. They can do things themselves. Well, yeah. I, I understand that, but I, I just, and Dr. Bolt, I'll jump, jump in here. I mean, th- these are important issues. I mean, you know, I wish that we were at a, a policy-oriented place. 
Well, I mean, I, I think we've got too many challenges yeah. not to be talking about True. serious policy when it comes to guns, abortion, climate change. I mean, they, these are very important issues, but it seems to me that we're more about personalities and, That's you know, and, and sensationalism and all these other sorts of things. Well, I'm still reeling from the fact when William said, I want to talk to the to the young man. He wasn't referring to me. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're you're getting old when you're there's a younger guy behind you. And the younger guy's got you by about 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently so, they're waiting for us to die. I mean, apparently what he just said. But well, the, I guess the, the good thing we could take, it was there was a new story that the, the Rolling Stones are going to put out another album. So all right, maybe maybe there's hope for us us old guys yeah. after all. If but they, at least they can when, keep we, going. But, but he, Chuck Grassley is 90. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feinstein's 90. Yeah. I saw a meme on Twitter over the weekend of a, it was uh, Mitch McConnell standing in a pile of cheese. And it says, this is Mitch McConnell at Olive Garden when someone says, tell me when enough's enough. Oh, oh, and the right. cheese is like up to his chin. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a bit crude. But these folks have no business being Probably in office. Not, yeah. I mean, they just don't. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, you know an age limit. I mean, there's at least got to be some coherence limit. I mean, you, you've got to prove yourself able to drive and operate a motor vehicle after a certain age, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, if you can't, then, you know, you get your license revoked and, and take it away from you. Know, you. M- McConnell, Feinstein, they're from, if they step down, that seat's not going to flip. It's not like it's a, it's a close state where, oh, we, we got to hold on to let them just ride off into the sunset. So, I mean, I mean, McConnell just seems to be having the spells. Feinstein's been having issues Oh, for a while, but again, this is this but is the, where we but are. They're a reliable vote, you no, know what I mean. Sure. And yeah. Feinstein's in judiciary, so their judges yeah, being confirmed. Yeah, that's why you need her there. Uh, McConnell yeah. is from Kentucky. Kentucky has a Democrat governor. You can't, yeah. And so you yeah. got to be careful there. You I pick, mean, I, yeah, you know, good point. Just, uh, I mean, it, we can get we at Bernie's, and we got to live with it. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> where we are. And it's not one dude. I mean, you got Biden, who is obviously in in cognitive decline you've got feinstein you've got mcconnell you've got i mean you got you know grassley i mean you've got several fetterman i mean fetterman's a young guy it's obvious he has some serious coherence issues what would they say the average age is like in the 63 64 for the senate one of the highest ever in american history and that's just yeah it's incumbency once once you kind of get in there if you want to keep going it's tough to pick you off a sitting senator in a primary, and, and neither side is willing to, willing to do it. So. Yeah, the, the, their heart is in public service. I mean, that, that's what it is. Their heart is in public service. That's exactly right. Uh, to, to make that's the country it. a better place. <laughs> Let, let's go to the phone. Ed in Bennettsville. Good morning. You're on. Morning, guys. How y'all doing? Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Well, kind of keep it light. I think it's kind of <laughs> ironic talking about Jimmy Buffett passing. I sure hated to hear that, but. Cheeseburger and Paradise kept going through my head when y'all started talking about the drive-throughs and the costs and all that. And <laughs> nowadays, the lettuce and tomato cost extra money. It's like the cheese costs extra money. They won't even give you a napkin unless you ask for it, you know. But it's, right. it's just ironic. There's no more cheeseburgers in Paradise, I guess. And another thing, uh, was Hunter Biden at Burning Man this past weekend? Because they kept saying on the news that Joe was concerned and he was checking on it and all this stuff. And, Mighty funny after all the hurricanes and the fires in Maui that he's he's more worried about Burning Man than he was Maui. <laughs> I'm gonna let get it off the air, y'all. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah, That's as bad point. as my Gamecocks are, <laughs> as bad as Clemson was last night, as distraught as many of us of my generation are about Jimmy Buffett, I could be stuck in a That's desert right. in Nevada, yeah, where it hadn't rained in a hundred years and they have a <laughs> flood, kind of a one in a hundred year flood. And everybody's stuck. Has anybody seen the um, the video out of Burning Man? Have you seen 
any of the um the artsy celebrations <laughs> that they have. No, I miss yeah. I'm, I'm too old for that now. Yeah. I, I'll, just, <laughs> right. I'll just say this. I didn't see many MAGA hats, <laughs> uh, you know, at, at Burning Man. I just didn't see many, many MAGA hats. But um, but, but let, let's go back to this for a second. I want to get sure your then. take on this. So has politics in early American history, was the majority debates about policy or, or were at times they more about the per? I mean, you talk about Andrew Jackson a lot. I mean, right. There's no doubt he was a larger than live personality. Some liked, some didn't like. But but the Jeffersonian Hamiltonian debate was political philosophy. Oh, for sure. It was Absolutely. political theory. And the, the people were engaged. And once you get to the, sort of the era of Andrew Jackson, You've got the John C. Calhoun from South Carolina, Henry Clay, Daniel Webster. Official, the country would shut down. People would crowd the galleries to watch these these Senate debates. You know, these guys speaking for four or five hours, and Henry Clay is going to respond the next day. Cabinet meetings would be adjourned. Diplomats would crowd into the cabinet. So you're right; these were there were there were guys who were larger than life, but they were substantive issues. I mean, can you imagine going to Washington and watching a four-hour debate on public lands, the tariff? Banking, currency, internal improvements, but that's that's what the people did. They were very, very passionate. So why were we so curious then, Dr. Bold? I mean, that, that's kind of a um, subjective question, but in your opinion, why were the American people so interested in what I call C-SPAN politics right. today? Yeah, right. you, you wouldn't dream of that. But again, no, it's just, maybe the country was just kind of smaller at the time. They, they kind of knew one another, uh, probably could feel the effects a, a lot more. The government is so, so much smaller. And again, you you, you kind of could get a better sense of where your tax dollars were going. Uh, there wasn't too, too much for the government to spend or waste it on. But no, it's, it, was, it was just a, you'd love to be able to go back in time and just to kind of sit in that sort of that, that smoky, dirty, grimy chamber with guys dipping and kind of spitting on the floor. Other guys having their dogs in there. Just a, a, a different era for sure. But again, it was an era where the people were much more attuned. Uh, and really cared deeply about about these issues. And again, the the members of Congress knew that if they if they didn't do right by their constituents, uh, it'd be much easier to turn these guys out than it was now than it is nowadays. Would would they be at all concerned at the age? I mean, you're talking about the the average age of Congress is over six. I think it's sixty three and a half uh, years say, old, yeah. or somewhere there about. So, some of the uh, chairmanships for people who have been there forever. I mean, obviously, seniority is a big yeah. deal in in Washington. I mean, did they were, were there any debates about? Hey, man, let's don't do this forever. Right. I mean, let's let, let, let's serve the people and then do kind of go. I mean, I know what Washington did, but was that an anomaly or was that the standard? No, a lot of guys. Obviously, the life expecting ones good. A lot of these, a good Republican, your Christian ones would say, well, once you get to seventy, that's when the Bible says that's I'm, I'm supposed to ride off into the sunset. At the, and a lot of guys, that's that's what they did. Not that many guys made it. Yeah, nobody uh, lived to be seventy pro- back then. Ex- exactly. So that's why you had like congressional cemetery. Uh, lots of guys there didn't make it back home to the districts at the end. They hung around for a lot longer than usual. But no, there were some guys who who said no. This is it's it's time to move aside and let somebody else come in with a a new a fresh perspective. I want to spend some time with my family. But again, some of these guys, a lot like the guys today, were fully committed to public service and said, hey, I'm the I'm the best one for the job, and so you're going to have to wheel me out of it. And oftentimes there was a running joke whenever there was a big vote in Congress and it was going to be close, they put the guys on stretchers and, and wheeled them in there and kind of like, you know, held their hand up, you know, <laughs> yay, and then, and then just kind of wheeled them back and said, all right, you can die now. You know, you've, you've served your purpose. So. 
Yeah, so it's it was always, weekend at Bernie's. It's yeah. always been a zero-sum game. <laughs> I mean, as long as I can, or as much as I've studied and tried to to understand it. Okay, would would they deal with the cognitively impaired differently than, than we did? I mean, obviously there were, I mean, I've read about some people that they were concerned about their mental state, yeah, right. whether they had all their faculties, whether they had kind of <laughs> kind of got off the reservation a bit. I mean, how did they deal with that in early American history? Jefferson kind of had some guys who kind of maybe went a little off the rails, as you said, and Jefferson would try and politely try and move them aside. And if they didn't get the hint, maybe Jefferson could arrange a, a primary challenge against it. But sometimes these guys were just so popular in their district. There was a guy named John Randolph who was probably just bat poop crazy, drove Jefferson. He was a supporter of Jefferson's party. Uh, he he hung around when Andrew Jackson became president. Jackson made him minister to Russia, you know, banished him, got him out of the country so he couldn't cause him any trouble at home. And Randolph went there for a couple of months and said, it's too cold. Uh, came back here and was a thorn in Jackson's side uh, for several more years. So, yeah, there were things they could try and do. But if you got a guy who just doesn't get the memo and the, the people like him, you're stuck with him. Yep. Let, let's got one call, then we'll take a break. Sure thing. Corey in Florence. Good morning, Corey. You're on. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good morning, sir. Hey, Corey. Dan, you've been talking a lot about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy here lately, and I agree with what you say about him. But the fact is, I have to go with Rev where we need Donald Trump back first. He needs to finish the job. He needs to get the country back on track. Now, uh, as a a Republican Party, uh, if we begin to do and plan and, and, and think, Oftentimes, I think like the Democrats do, they have a plan. They set things up. Now, should Trump take pull uh, Ramaswamy as a vice president? If we want to set it up for the future, this guy is 38 years old. He's speaking mm-hmm. the exact same thing that Trump speaks on policy and all that. He just says in a different way. Uh, he don't say make America great again. He says uh, family, you know, God, family, and patriotism to your country. So I agree with what you say about him. And the Republican Party is smart. We'll put Donald Trump, get Donald Trump back in office and put this guy somewhere where he can be the future of the Republican Party because he will win some of the younger crowds, some of the younger group. Um, <clears throat> and also, I want to say this. I didn't know who Jimmy uh, Buffy was until this morning. <laughs> but some of the songs that y'all played, I've heard before. I didn't <laughs> know who he, who, who he was. But his music sounds like a guy that never wore shoes and just wore <laughs> And he would consider that a compliment. That's about as good a compliment as you could pay. Yeah, I think that's what he wanted to be remembered and sounded like. Um, Dr. Bolt, real quick, got a minute. Um, What do you make of Ramaswamy? Kind of like, just like the same same line as President Trump. And so President Trump put uh, Mike Pence on the ticket. How'd that work out for him? And usually you try and have different individuals. And so do you put someone who's in that exact same line? He's intriguing. I think if Trump wins, you've got to get a cabinet post for him. Some role, some position in He's the He's got to be involved in the movement. Yes, no, no question about Can't it. Thank you for him. your time. Have a good week, guys. Dr. Thank Wills you. Bolt, History Chair of Francis Marion University. We'll take a break back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We're kind of a morning of consoling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're consoling Buffett fans. Yes. I would be, I don't know that I'd be a parrot head, but I would be a Buffett fan, very much a Buffett fan. Um, the man had a problem with closed-toed shoes. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he had a problem a lot of times with shoes at all. Um, but but anyway, um, we're consoling uh, the Parrothead Nation. We're consoling Gamecock Nation. We're consoling Tiger Nation. If you're a Buffett fan, a Gamecock fan, a Tiger fan, 
and slow this weekend. You had a bad weekend. Except the weather was spectacular. Had really, really good weather. Want to congratulate Kerry Tharp and Darlington Raceway. Uh, they had a bit of a hiccup with some lights. Had some issues with lights. Um, but uh, in his swan song, and I get the debate about sellouts and empty seats, and I think all the tickets that were available for sale were sold. Um, technically, that's a sellout. I'm like some of these folks who say, it ain't really a sellout when you got tarps, you know, when you got banners over empty seats. But um, but anyway, NASCAR has had its struggles in selling tickets and filling, um, you know, racetracks, and Darlington did much better than most on average, um, do Labor Day weekend. I don't remember a Labor Day weekend in my life that was as pleasant as weather. Uh, and I'm talking about the weather. It's always we're to kind of find of a weird time of year. Got these tropical depressions and tropical storms and hurricanes off the coast of Africa making their way into the Atlantic and warmer weather and jet streams and you know all that sort of nonsense. And it's always been seems you kind of cross your fingers on Labor Day. It's football. It's racing. Um, and maybe that's, you know, God paying respect to parrot heads. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe God said, you know, bad day in, in Margaritaville. So let's at least give those, um, cause Rev says it's more regional music than not. And I would agree to that. I mean, it's more Southern, um, than not, but, um, but anyway, we've been consoling all these different, um, and, and I, and I go back to the picture somebody sent me of Spurrier wearing a Duke shirt and I sent it to my buddy and. Got you again. <laughs> but, but I mean, look, if you watch the Gamecocks play Saturday night, and it, it was atrocious. Some of the offensive line was just absolutely atrocious. I told Rev, you know, when, when I knew there was going to be a hard, you know, let's, let's use a, um, uh, was it a hard night coming or a hard day? What, what, what song am I thinking about here? Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night. I'm thinking about the Beatles here. Hard Day's Night um, was when I saw the depth chart on Wednesday. And Rev accuses me of paying attention to football in a different way than in most. In the weeds. In the weeds. When I saw the depth chart Wednesday and it said at offensive tackle, him or him. <laughs> at the other tackle, him or him. At the guard, him or him. And I'm telling you, if the word either or are included in your depth chart on the offensive line, you've got issues. And I don't want to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a guy of negativity, but the hardest thing to fix is offensive line. I mean, it's got to be cohesive. There's got to be some consistency of play there. There's got to be some, I don't know, you know what I'm doing, and I know what you're doing. You know my responsibilities, and they were absolutely lost. And if they don't clean it up a little bit, I mean, I don't know how good Furman is. I do with Georgia. And I can tell you this, if they don't clean it up a little bit, you better put Spencer Rattler in a bulletproof vest when you go to Athens to take on uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. We, we watch football so differently. I've never looked at a depth chart in my life. Well, don't start now. <laughs> you'll enjoy the game a I'm lot just better. Like, hey, you, you throw enjoy, it, catch it, win. You'll enjoy the game a lot better uh, by not doing that. But the story of the weekend, I mean, if Florida State had a big win, it looks like they're back. But the big story is uh, Prime. Right. You know, where, where the cowboy hat in Colorado. And Prime, they made no bones about it. Prime basically said, there's a new sheriff in town. You know, I'm coaching a one-win team. It's pretty obvious you guys that are here aren't real good, so I can't promise you you're going to be here much longer. And they went out and used the NIL and transfer portal. And that's, to me, the story. The two teams that looked to have turned it around more than anybody, and I mean, I think Florida State's legitimately good. Uh, we'll find out with Colorado. But these two teams 
have over 40 players each under contract with NIL and Transfer Portal. I mean, it's just the new way college football is played. Like it, don't like it. Um, Dabo has railed against it. It looks to me like some of the um, some of the hierarchy at USC has railed against it. Well, you better get with it. I mean, you better have a pot of money. You, you can argue culture and the you know the um, the Alabama way or the Clemson way or this way or that way. No, it's called the the Dore Me way. And if you don't have a big pot of money to lure players to your university, somebody else will. That's just where we are right now. It is the farm league of the NFL, and kids will play football where somebody pays them to play football. That's just, you know, the under the table is now above uh, the table. And, you know, if you don't have a pot of money set aside to convince this kid that that this is his best opportunity, you're just not going to compete right now. You're just not. I'm sorry. Um, Florida State fix it in a hurry, not with four or five or six good recruiting classes, but went out and, you know, lured players via the transfer portal and NIL, same with, uh, with Colorado. And I, I, Prime's good for the sport. I mean, Prime's just good for the sport. He's a personality. Um, he's got a lot of flair. He gave an interview yesterday, and they were talking about, you know, what you would have gotten back then. And he said, oh, a bunch. You know, if, if uh, in other words, if NIL yeah. and Transfer Portal had been around when you were playing DB at Florida State, what would you have been? He said, but did he, and I love the way he said, he said, but I had a bunch of game now. <laughs> I mean, I, I I had a bunch of game. A lot of these kids getting money now don't have a lot of game. You know, we're getting the money ahead of the game. He said they would have had to pay me because I had a bunch of game back in the day. Let's go to the phone. Ken and Pamplico, good morning. Good morning. Is this uh, Ken Moore here? And who am I speaking with? This is Ken. How are you, Ken? Ken Hart, it's been a million years, son. How you been? I'm good, sir. How are you? <laughs> Any better, I'd be in trouble. You know me, but uh, I just thought I'd call and, and sing you a little quick version of Jimmy Buffett. Here we go. I blew out my flip-flop, stepped on a pop-top, cut my heel, had to cruise on back home. Put this booze in the blender, soon it will render. That frozen concoction that helps me hang on. Anyway, Ken, I just uh, hell, I, I loved him, buddy. He was he was uh, he was my man. I can imagine that. Thank you, Ken. Good to hear from you. Hadn't heard from Ken Moore in a long time. Uh, a lot of Kens going on there, but yeah, Ken and Pamplico. Another well, Ken yeah, from Pamplico. Well, I, mean, I, I grew up with Ken. Uh, he's a little older than I, but I've known him all my life, and I know him to be a very devoted uh, Jimmy Buffett fan. And I would imagine a lot of our listeners. Rev was talking about certain alignments we have, certain arrangements we have, certain um, synergies we have with our listeners. And I got to believe that there are more of you than not who thought of a lot of Jimmy Buffett's music. And Josh is looking at what's going on here. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what we're talking about here. I well, was, uh, I was talking with the Rev. I know who Jimmy Buffett is. I asked okay. him during the break. I said, do you even know who Jimmy Buffett is? He said, Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Big yeah. deal. Good deal. Good deal. So he made his way up to app state. So, so, so Buffett Buffett's message in music did c- kind of creep ever closer to <laughs> the foothills of the um of the Appalachian Mountains. Let's go to the phone. Or Smoky Mountains in that case. I'm sorry. Let's go to the phone. The Great Smoky Mountains. Yeah, the Great Smoky Mountains. David in the PD. Hello, David. Yeah, man, I was kind of wanting to talk about uh, Ramaswamy and Stephanopoulos. And, and that 30-year-old Stephanopoulos came on those morning shows back in the day, and now he owns the morning shows. But, good gosh, we got to talk about it, Jimmy Buffett. Hey, man, uh, Ken, we witnessed this back in the day. 
Um, I'm thinking about if you grew up in the early 70s, uh, mid-70s, here's two uh, things you would hear at one time. Uh, Ace Frehley on the lead guitar. Uh, Elvis Presley. And I'll give this guy, Jimmy Buffett, credit. He uh, He's kind of ahead of his time. He wrote his own songs. So he, he wrote songs that he could sing to. In other words, he's not trying to sing my way or this or that. The man sang songs that he could only write for himself. And I'll give him credit in that he was ahead of his time with some of the political things that who would name their band Coral Reefer Band. So I guess he does get a lot of people out there in Denver, Colorado, and Chicago to come to his concerts. And who would have ever thought about just wearing flip-flops and T-shirts and uh, a beat shirt to perform? So this guy, he he, well, he's a little bit ahead of his time, but I give him credit now. And my only thing is that said he moved to the Hamptons. So that's part of our uh, world today. But uh, I was going to say one thing about Pauly's Island, Ken. I think I went back there back in 1985. And I don't know, back in the day, they had some kind of lagoon back there or something. I ended up one night, we was out there fishing. And uh, we caught some fish, and there were some folks that backcountry people, they actually knew how to gut these fish, and they could cook them up. And the, the, the beauty of that was we had so much food, we ain't got to worry about uh, going by a fast food place on the way back home. So that's how the world changed. But give Jimmy Buffett credit. He is like Donald Trump. Donald Trump's got his own group of voters. Uh, Buffett's got his own fans. So y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. And I think that's kind of the correlation we've tried to make. I mean, we do politics here, but um, but but we kind of go wherever we choose to go. I mean, it's just the first weekend of football, college football. Uh, I mean, I think Notre Dame played in Dublin, Ireland. Um, our Catholic listeners would be interested in that. But this Labor Day weekend is always a kickoff to college football. And then you combine that with, um, you know, Jimmy Buffett passing away. Rev said this morning, I think appropriately or, or accurately, that, you know, a lot of our listeners probably grew up, you know, listening to Buffett, just like listening to Limbaugh. I mean, mm-hmm. he would be. But but I think the correlation is the intense and loyal base that Trump has. I mean, if politics had parrot heads, they'd be wearing MAGA hats. I mean, it, it, yeah. you know, I mean, that, very intense, very loyal, very dedicated. They're going to be there, you know, come hell or high water. And I do believe that we're seeing somewhat of a transitioning in the never Trumpers. I, I, I believe that those people who have tried to drive a wedge between Trump and his voters, um, good luck trying to drive a wedge between Buffett and his, you know, fans. I mean, you couldn't have done that. But um, but I think those who have tried to drive a wedge between Trump and his voters believed for a brief period of time the best thing to do is let this guy win the primary because the polling says his unfavorables will not let him win in November. I mean, there's just no way to carry all that baggage, to be as controversial, to be as bombastic, um, his negatives. I mean, his negatives and unfavorables will, will, will doom the day he's the Republican nominee. And I think they're beginning to look now at, wow, okay, um, a, uh, you know, a meal at a fast food restaurant is $13, $14, $15. Gas has been north of $3 for a year. Um, people just aren't real comfortable or happy with the way the economy is going now. 
Um, they're very nervous about what they think is coming in the next year or two. And, um, and yeah, I mean, Trump's still volatile. He still makes people nervous, but he may be a better choice than the other guy. Let's go to the phone. Barry and Shaw. Morning, Barry. Hey, morning, guys. Enjoyed the show, Ken. That's the way uh, I like mixing it up, man. Uh, football, you know, got away from politics for the weekend. What football? Nobody played football this weekend, Barry. Nobody played football. Yeah, our Gamecock show. I I know our Sherald Brace. I know our Sherald Brace played football Friday night, Ken. There you go. Uh, Do do you know who they play, Ken? Uh, I think I do. Okay. It was a good night for Sherald Brace. I hear you. Uh, Ken, uh, Prime was my man, man. Uh, Pulling hard for him. Um, Everything I did growing up was uh, (laughs) – to emulate prime uh it was good and bad for me on on the football fields with coach Bourne. if you remember coach Bourne, he had that uh that little voice and he would say uh bernie born tell one of my coaches he'd say billy get his a off the field he's out there hot dogging again and hot stepping get his a off y'all have a good day thank you very appreciate <laughs> that i mean remember what prime did prime played in the nfl and for and the Braves. Baseball. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he played for the Braves. I mean, he batted second behind Otis Nixon um, and was a pretty productive member of of the Braves. I mean, if we were doing a sports show, that's kind of what we would. Is there a more interesting sports figure in America than Prime? I mean, that's spur of the moment. I mean, obviously, there probably is, but he is a very interesting sports figure, and he seems to be, and it may be an act and a, and a facade. I don't know. I don't know Prime. But he seems to have gotten to a place in his life that is very comfortable with who he is and what he's about and what he believes in and what he stands for. Um, some people say he's a bit hypocritical. Join the club. Um, I mean, that, those who say that aren't hypocritical at all. You know, people are, are so judgmental about others. But I think, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, Prime, Prime was big time. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Big time in college, big time in the NFL, big time in major leagues because he was a starter for the Atlanta Braves when they played for a world championship. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Nick in Lexington. Good morning, Nick. You're on the air. I got a couple of things now we're talking about prime. I'll never forget when we were losing about 28 to nothing at halftime at williams Rice, and he's running off the sidelines at halftime yelling, y'all need to get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> Always Great. had something to Great. say. But the reason I really called was a kind of an NIL question. Last week when I was spending my winnings on the lottery that I lost, I thought if I was ever to do an NIL deal after I negotiated it, I would tell my player that I'm going to make you be a walk-on so we could give another scholarship. Is that even possible? Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. I don't know if that's possible or not. But that's an interesting concept. You know, go back to Alabama where they had 200 people on scholarship. Yep. So you wouldn't get them. They got Bear got them, so you wouldn't get them. Right. Yeah, Nebraska and and Oklahoma did a lot of that. And the other question was, can we convert the Gamecock Club to an NIL? Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, Nick. (laughs) Well, I mean, full disclosure, and I I think I touched on this, uh, you know, last week one day. I got asked to get involved. Well, I mean, maybe I didn't touch on it on, I think, Cornblute. I mean, that, that may have been when Cornblute asked me to be on his show. And then I talked a little bit about my involvement with NIL. I got asked by um, a group of Gamecock fans to get involved with another group of people who were 
trying to promote NIL. I learned a lot through that. And I, I sat down with a lot of people who influence some of these um, decisions. And I'm not dropping names, and I'm not trying to be a, a big shot because I'm not. Um, I got real frustrated because I didn't sense the urgency that I think my favorite team needed to have in realizing how important NIL was. That's pretty diplomatic what I just said there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to offend anybody. I was not at all impressed with the degree of seriousness that my favorite team was exhibiting toward the significance or importance of NIL. And, um, I mean, to me, it was too much placeholding. It was too much fiefdoms. And, and the concern, and I understand the concern of Ipte and the Gamecock Club. The concern is that if you've got donors out there giving X number of dollars to the Gamecock Club or Ipte, and the next thing you know, NIL has to be funded, they may not give more money. They may take some of that money out of your hide, so to speak. And, and I just think you've got to admit today, I mean, if you're going to play at the highest level in college football, you better fund NIL, period, period. I mean, if you don't fund NIL and you don't operate in the transfer portal, you may have the best women's swimming team and equestrian team in America, but your football team's going to get their ass cut a lot. And, and I just, I believe that with every fiber of my being, and I try to enforce my belief on folks that make some of these real fundamental and consequential decisions um, but they said, slow down, slow down, slow down. Well, I'll tell you who didn't slow down. Florida State has over 50 players under contract. Colorado has over 40 players under contract. Um, you judge. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Bob in Florence. Good morning, Bob. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Ken, I want to... Uh, was contemplating something this weekend that you said earlier this week. I want to get it right. Um, so think back to Wednesday. It was in um, probably the 7 o'clock hour. Uh, you were taking some of the Cahaley, uh observations, and you, you came up with a, a somewhat of a, a formula where it was, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Um, if Trump doesn't run 30 percent of the trump voters will not vote is that correct the polling says 30 percent i think robert and i talk and i think one third will probably not be men and women of their word so that turns 30 into 20 percent okay um okay that's that's one part of the, the the equation the other one was um if Trump does run, 11% of Republicans will either not vote for him or just not show. Do I have – your 20% is understandable. It could be 30, could be 20. Uh, but it, the conclusion of it was you'd rather go with having Trump and holding on to that 30% of Trump voters than losing the 11% of Republicans. That's my theory, yes. Okay, my only my only issue with it, I'm thinking about it is you're 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 taking voters from two different pools. And uh if if we had uh, Kamala Harris here, she could probably help us with a Venn diagram because she <laughs> loves them so much. Uh uh because there's a crossover there. There Sure, sure. Said, sure. You, and and I believe you when you say a, a Trump voter is not necessarily a Republican voter. Um, so there's a crossover there, 
And um, I like the theory and, you know, 30%, 20%, I'd rather have that. But, you know, how much of that 11% would actually be, you know, potential Trump voters? I don't know. Uh, I'm just looking for a little clarity. And if you don't mind elaborating on that, I'll, I'll get off and Thank you. It's been a good morning. I've, I've enjoyed it the whole time. Thank you. We've jumped around a bit this morning. Apologize for being so inconsistent. We've been consistently inconsistent today in our topics and things we're um, discussing. And and this is simply a theory. I mean, this is, I, I don't have any, I mean, I take Robert's data and some of the conversations we have. And I think when you extrapolate the data and, and, I, and I guess you're asking yourself, um, you know, what, what, per, what is the number of votes that, takes to beat joe biden in 2024 robert believes somewhere between 75 and 78 million wins now once again kahaley's a strategist he's a uh you know he's one of these um analytics guys i'm not i'm more instinctive so, so then if if i take robert at his word and and say because of covid we had some overvoting i mean let's be, be let's be kind we had overvoting in certain precincts certain areas democrat strongholds it may have been covid it may have been uh, the Zuckerberg money, but whatever it was, Joe Biden overperformed significantly. I think Trump performed uh, about like you would expect him. I mean, I, I really believe that. I think 75 million, uh, I mean, that's a big number. And he improved more than any president improved from running for his uh, first election to running for re-election. But, but I think you've got to say, okay, if, if Robert is right, and once again, this is a theory. I don't know if Robert's right. Robert doesn't know if he's right. But if the number's 77 million, then you're basically saying you, you believe Joe Biden gets 4 million less than he did last time. We're accepting that it's going to, and, and forget the popular vote. See, see, a lot of people get caught up in this popular vote. Um, Kahaley told me over the weekend that if we get to, you know, summer of next year and it's a dead heat, it's almost impossible for Trump to, to lose. I mean, I don't know that. But, but Robert argues that if it's 46 46 or 46 47, it's almost impossible for Trump to lose, but but some trends matter. So seventy-seven million. Remember when um, James Carville said uh, about the first Trump election? He said this is not an antiseptic moment. I mean, it, this is not just a one-off. I mean, if they vote like this in Pennsylvania, they're going to vote like that in Ohio. They're going to vote like that in Michigan, and this same kind of vote. That there are certain trends that matter in these in these things. So yes, it's about Pennsylvania. And it's about Ohio and Florida and Georgia and Virginia and North Carolina. You know, the 11 or 12, I think um, uh, Drew McKissick said eight states. You know, that w- we can pick 42 states before we even uh, before we even say who the Republican or Democrat nominee is. But but then when you dig a little bit deeper into the data, I think there's something there. And, and I, you know, once again, 30% of, of people who call themselves Republicans today identify. Now, now once again, that is squishy. Because I'm arguing they're not real Republicans, they're Trump voters. But they're voting for Trump, and Trump's running as a Republican, therefore, by default, they're kind of, sort of, Trump voters. The number is 30%. Now, now I believe that that's a, that, that's a kind of an embellished number. I think it's probably closer to 20%, because I think one-third of Trump voters will say, I, I don't like the price of gas, I don't like the price of um, you know a Happy Meal, I don't like the way the country's headed. And they'll basically sneak into the poll and vote for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, but but on the other side of the coin is this 9 to 14. 
Um, you know, I mean, I say 11. I try to split it, you know, um, it's somewhere between 9 and 14, depending on what research you believe and what analytic model you follow. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, there, there's overlap. I mean, there's no doubt. It's, a, it's not a perfect scenario. I'm not saying that my hypothetical is bulletproof. I mean, there are a lot of ways to pick apart the hypothetical. But in its simplest form, if Trump is not the nominee and 20% stay home, if Trump is the nominee and 8 or 9% stay home, I'm taking my chances with Trump. And that's the point I try to make, that I think Trump gives the Republican Party the best chance to win. Now, we don't know that. If 30% say I'm not going, if Trump's not the nominee, but they, they you know, are, are coaxed into going, they go anyway. I mean, you don't know what people are going to do. A, a lot of people don't know what they do. I mean, if you asked a lot of people today because of all these indictments and these attacks and this uh, persecution, th- there are a lot of Republicans today. It's, it's probably no better a time than to ask people about loyalty to Trump. I mean, they're going to be unbelievably loyal to Trump right now because they feel like they owe the guy that. Rev has basically said as much. I mean, there's kind of a beholdenness about it. I feel like I owe this guy, you know, my vote. I mean, I'm, I'm not bailing on him now. I don't care if they lock him up, put him in prison. If I get a chance, I'm voting for that guy because they've tried, they've tried so hard to convince me not to. And there's a little bit of vengeance, you know, revenge. I'll, I'll show those son of a guns. Um, but, but we don't know what that number is. I mean, we're speculating. We don't know how these indictments play out. We don't know how the trials play out. I mean, nobody knows what the optics are and how they'll affect any of this. But as we sit today, it looks to me like Trump gives the Republican Party the best chance to get to 77 million votes. If you get to 77 million, that means he'll overperform or perform well in, in Pennsylvania and in Georgia. And I think y'all heard Robert say on the show that if we're defending Georgia, we've got big trouble. I mean, Cahaley believes that Georgia was the anomaly. Georgia was the state that took advantage of the COVID voting laws better than anybody. I mean, that's where a lot of Zuckerberg money was spent, you know, in Fulton County, in Gwinnett County. And, and I mean, they, they had through-the-roof voting turnout. I mean, they, they just had, it's like everybody said, put everything on hold, I'm going to vote against Donald Trump. Maybe they did. I mean, everything we're arguing here, here is, is hypothetical and theoretical. We don't know what happened in Gwinnett and Fulton County. I mean, we can speculate. I mean, there, there is a direct correlation between the amount of money Zuckerberg spent and voting turnout. But, I mean, that, that could be coincidental. I mean, that thing, there are coincidences in the world. Or, or it could be, you know, a, um, I mean, a consistency of where the money was spent and how many and, and what sort of percentage of turnout they had there. But, but you know, I'm not arguing that my, my theory is bulletproof. It's just that. I mean, it's kind of a hypothetical that, that, that Robert and I have talked a lot about. He's got some data that suggests what I'm saying is accurate. And, I mean, if, if Ron DeSantis is the nominee, do we believe DeSantis can pull the Trump voter back in? I, I don't know. I, I don't have a clue. If Ramaswamy, I mean, he's not going to be, but let's say he is. If Ramaswamy is the nominee, can he bring some of the Trump faction in? I, I don't know. Um, can Ramaswamy encourage, I mean, how many, how many Democrats out there would vote for a Republican? How many independents out there? I mean, there's no, there's no ironclad way to say, but, but in its simplest form, if 30% say 
say they're not coming back if Trump's not the nominee. I don't believe that. I mean, I, I, well, I go back to my, I believe a third of them will come back. And then you get to nine to 14 of the, the never Trumpers, the Bill Crystals of the world, uh, the Lincoln Projects of the world, those who say I'm a, a hardcore Republican, but I'm not voting for this guy. Um, th- there we are. I mean, that, that's the two, that, that, that's the two, you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, if, if those two can say grace and come to some resolve, it's going to be hard to beat whomever the Republican nominee is because when you look at the unfavorables of Joe Biden, the wrong track, right track, and approval, I mean, it, he's, in, he's in uncharted territory. I mean, so many people believe the country's on the wrong track. So many people, I mean, even Democrats, 69% of Democrats believe that Joe Biden's too old to be reelected. Now, now, what will the Democrats do at the end of this year, the first of next year, if they, you know, kind of look at enough data and say, wow, I mean, Trump could win. I mean, there's a pretty good chance Trump can win. Do they throw him overboard? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I'm not in a position to make that call. I do believe at some point in time, the Democrat hierarchy will be forced to deal with that reality. But because I, I think they've tried everything they know to try to decrease the intensity of Trump's support, and they can't do it. And, I, and I, you know, people say this is all about a primary. No. I mean, I, I don't buy that. I mean, I've seen two indictments and in Trump's numbers increase with independents. I've not seen any data at all on the other two indictments. But the two that I've seen polling on, when he got indicted, his numbers went up. I mean, they're not big jumps, but they're, they're, they're a slight increase with independent voters. That, that suggests to me that people just aren't buying this prosecution, that they're seeing it for what it is, and that's a political witch hunt, trying to stop the American people from having a right to vote for who they choose to, no matter how you know, unacceptable he may be to the, to the political elites. This is what the American people have landed on. Let's go to the phone. Jeff and Florence, good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, so in Georgia, you, you, know, you just said you're not sure what happened. Do you dispute the results of uh, Osterman's election or, or Warnock's election twice? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know that I've studied it enough to say yay or nay. I mean, the only one I really dug into is the Zuckerberg money spent in Gwinnett and Fulton County and the, the increase of the percentage of turnout there. I mean, I, I don't okay. know that I could give you an honest answer because I don't know that I've, I've looked at it hard enough, Jeff. We, we know money equals turnout. Right. Like Man. that's why the Koch brothers do what they do. That's right. You know, that's why Peter Thiel does what he does. Right. That's right. So, so, I mean, you got no problem with that money. I, I, they've never invested in the election commissions. They've invested in political action committees and they've advanced a narrative or an agenda, but they've never funded the actual election commissions. Really? Like, how many, do you, do you know how many election laws were passed after 2000? I, I, you didn't listen to what I said. They've never directly contributed to the election commissions. Okay, well, I, I just asked you, do you know how many election But But it's laws not your radio show. You don't get to ask the questions. Right. I mean, right. you, you get to offer saying, all the commentary you'd like. Sure, sure. You, you just well, said, no, no, you said that there have been a lot of election laws changed as a result of lobbying. No question about it on both sides. And Where I would argue, I would argue, two sides that. are equally guilty of that. There's never right. been, there's never been anybody invest a half billion dollars in election commissions around the country. You don't think that Secretary of State's are election commissions? No, not at all. 
You you don't think that the Arizona Rusty? Why are they called Secretary of State to not election commissions? Well, I mean, like Rathmansberger. You don't you don't believe he is more responsible for election? Jeff, we got to take a break, but hang on, I'll give you the floor back. He's giving me the sure. break sign, but it, as soon as we get back, the floor's yours. Back in just a couple of minutes. Takes Monday, takes Tuesdays Tuesday. to make Fridays. Uh, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. <laughs> Jeff, uh, I think you held on to the break. Jeff, you still there? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, just, just the point. Like in, on the Georgia elections, uh, did you see the governor Brian Kemp's uh, press conference where he said, "Even now, we're being pressured, and we're not going to go along. We're not going to lie. We're not going to uh, participate in this fantasy that our elections were were not not accurate." Did you see that press conference? Yeah, I mean, you, but the Georgia the Georgia General Assembly may force his hand with some um, legislation. Yeah, which he said would be unconstitutional, and he won't do it. Well, I mean, he doesn't get the authority to do that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Look, no, he does at, not. No, no, he does not. Right. A governor doesn't get look to usurp the authority of a legislature just because he wants to. So they're talking about passing legislation to change, because under the current law, they can't remove Connie Ross. And, and this is the one where Donald Trump and, and his cohorts on TV, you'll see. And if you don't think in March when they start rolling footage and having all those Republicans get up there and the ones that flipped on him actually testify, that's that's when the election's over for Donald Trump. Well, I mean, you've said that a hundred times, and I, I just disagree no, with that. No. I, I, see, Jeff, I, I, think, I think you wanted Trump to win, and you thought the indictments would cause him harm, and it hasn't, and now you're real concerned that you can't beat the guy. I, no, I really believe, actually, I think Democrats are in panic mode because Democrats believed if we indict this guy, people will come to their senses and, and you know, that, that the division, the wedge we've been looking for will take place and it's only intensified and now independents are actually uh, kind of leaning toward Trump even more. And I think you guys are in panic mode. I think you are freaking out far more than you lead us to believe. I think you believe yeah. that Donald Trump is going to get elected in November of 24. I'll tell you this. I, I told you Joe Biden didn't win the presidency, and that's true. He didn't. Donald Trump lost it, and he'll lose it again, just like he's lost yeah, it. Yeah, but when Trump ran, I mean, gas wasn't three fifty a gallon. A Happy Meal wasn't thirteen dollars a gallon. Uh, Seventy-two, seventy-four percent of Americans didn't believe we're on the wrong. Have you looked at the wrong track number recently? Yeah, keep looking at those polls. It's seventy-four percent of Americans. I mean, it's normally sixty-six, sure. sixty-seven, and that's a horrible number. It's seventy-four percent of Americans believe that America's on the wrong track, and he's the CEO, and people believe he's failing miserably. And I think they'll forgive Trump for all the misgivings, for all the shenanigans, and all the bad behavior because they say this guy just did a better job at running the country than this um, this guy we have in there now. Now I could be wrong, but that's what I yeah, think is going to happen. <laughs> You are because look at the. Well, what do you mean you are, Jeff? Explain. You are. He hopes you are. Well, I mean, he, no. That, that's just that's the arrogance of a liberal. That's the arrogance of a liberal. They have the moral and intellectual high ground, and how dare you question them? Because they dominate academia, they dominate the media, they get to call all the shots. And if somebody stands tall against what they, this kind of a preconceived narrative, then they're they're told it. You're wrong. You're just wrong. It's as simple as that. We can do better. Take a breath. No, we got to get out of here. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.